Episode 42 of Not A Robot Podcast's Jinsu Comics Review Show, the world's greatest podcast about the world's greatest heroes. They keep coming back, so I'll introduce them. As always, I've got my amazing co-hosts here with me, Rob. All your comics are belong to us. Wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> I like it. And Josh. Hello, humans. This week we've got Wonder Woman number 772, Superman number 31, Joker number 3, Batman Urban Legends number 3, Future State Gotham number 1, Batman the Detective number 2, Rorschach number 8, and Justice League Last Ride number 1. Before we get going, I just want to say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters who help out with a dollar or more a month. And thank you listeners too. Like, download, and share our episodes so we get more listeners and can bring you more content. You can get access to our Patreon and the rest of the Not A Robot Podcast shows at notarobotpodcast.com. Before we get into today's books, what's new with you guys this week? I've got a couple pieces of news. Uh, All right. Some more information about a couple of things that we actually talked about last week and I think the week before. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a date for DC Fandome. It's October 16th. That's cool. I'm so, pretty sure we didn't have a date before. I think we just knew it was coming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then you can head over to dccomics.com and catch some previews of the first book to come out of that new horror imprint from DC. And it's going to be about The Conjuring, five issues long. And it is going to be drawn by Gary Brown, dude. Awesome. Right? Uh, anybody out there doesn't know who Gary Brown is, he is the artist that did Baby Teeth. Mm. And if you haven't read Baby Teeth, just quit reading comics. Oh, I um, love that book. <laughs> it's really, really good. And uh, Bill Sykwins, uh my man from Moon Knight, he's going to be doing all the covers, too. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, no, I love I love he's it when Sinkiewicz does any kind of work. Yeah. And uh, the um, the guy that wrote the Conjuring movies, or at least a couple of them, he's going to be writing the book with Rex Ogle. And, like, Rex Ogle is this guy that... Like, everybody kind of thinks his name sounds familiar. He was an editor at DC for a long time, and he has co-written seven books. Um, trying to think. Probably most notably would be the Life After Logan story in the Death of Wolverine series. Mm-hmm. He co-wrote that. But he was an editor at DC for a while, and then he jumped ship from comic books for a long time. And he was writing scholastic books and books for young readers. So it's oh. it's like a little odd for me to see, you know, he, he co-wrote a couple of titles in comic books, and then he wrote Little Kids shit for years. And I mean, he's got over a hundred titles of Little Kids stuff. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and now he's going to jump into The Conjuring? <laughs> what has been rattling around in this guy's brain for the last year? <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's, that's a weird jump, I, I should think. Yeah. Um, they are also going to have backup stories, and I don't know about whether or not it's going to be the exact same throughout 
all of the issues, all five, but at least in the first one, um, Scott Snyder and Dennis Cohen are going to be handling those ones. Oh, wait, what is it? The the Conjuring uh, books, all five of them are going to have backup issues that deal with different items inside of Ed and Lorraine Warren's artifact room. Mm-hmm. And the very first one, at least, it could be all five, I don't know, but the very first one, at least, is going to be written by Scott Snyder with art from Dennis Cohen. Oh, wow, that's that's an interesting pair. I mean, I wouldn't mm-hmm. expect Scott Snyder on a you know a Conjuring book. No, but he's, I mean, he, he does like the dark, he does like the twisted, and oh, yeah, I don't yeah. know I if you guys he... saw uh, the many deaths of Vic Sage, but I did, Dennis I did. Cohen yeah. knocked it out of the park with that yeah. shit. Oh, yeah, no, it he's was a, he's beautiful. A, he's a favorite of mine. Um, just given his work on the original question series, which is absolutely incredible. But yeah, even recently with the the many deaths of Vic Sage with Jeff Lemire, just just incredible work. And that was um, uh, him and Sinkevich, I believe, both yes. doing the artwork. So just absolutely incredible. Yep. Yep. And I guess they are they're pulling through with this whole March Superman toward Warworld thing. They, uh, uh, John, Supergirl, and Superman are all gonna be moving on with their stories. Supergirl, oh jeez. So John is supposed to be taking the role of Superman. Mm-hmm. Superman is doing exactly what we're seeing in the comic books now. He's heading off to War World. He's gonna fight on the front lines, and he's also got this covert shit coming with the Authority. But then Supergirl, <laughs> the the premise of her run is going to be that she is pursuing a murderer across the galaxy in a cosmic bus. The cosmic bus? Huh. That really... is literally the words that were ripped from DCComics.com, and I'm uh, not making that up. Sounds like uh, sounds a little, little Doom Patrol to me. Yeah, right? Yeah. Did Space Cabby yeah. get a new job? <laughs> no <Yeah>. shit. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking no of... That that story from Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol, Planet Love, where they drive around oh. in a bus, um, where basically Mister Nobody is running for pre- if you if you uh, it probably sound completely crazy if you you're not familiar with the Doom Patrol, but it's the story where nobody is running for president, Mister Nobody right. running for president, and <laughs> driving around in a bus that's basically fueled by a psychedelic bike from the '60s that creates illusions and. They just drive around in that old bus trying to, like, drive people crazy, I guess. It's, it sounds like that. So I don't know. Maybe if that's your if that's your style, you might really like it. Perhaps. It is being brought to us by Bilkis Evely? I think that's how you say yes, their name. Bilkis, yeah, Bilkis Evely. Evely, okay. Mm-hmm. Matt Lopez and Tom King. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love Bilkis Evely for, for those who haven't read The Dreaming. It's absolutely incredible incredible but i really prefer that um that tom king not touch that it's it, <laughs> those two writing styles just i don't see how they would mesh well together i'm not picking up who this matt lopez is but the uh tom king and bilky's uh evilly uh i just they they it doesn't i can't see them being woven together right well, it'll be interesting to see if he can pull it off because i think i mean Bilkis Evely is, it's, it's odd. Bilkis Evely is someone that I don't really think of in space-related books. It's generally more like fantasy or mystical type things. You know, in the Dreaming, it was a lot of landscapes and uh, right. castles and, you know, mystical figures and 
Yeah, the the, like, the whole like the whole line yeah. is gorgeous. Yeah, but um, I don't know. Maybe maybe something outside their wheelhouse might be good for the both of them. We'll have to see. I hope so. Yeah. I got some words about Tom King for later. Yeah, that that was that was my news actually. <laughs> that the the preview for the Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow book is uh, out right now, and you can check it out and get a feel for the book. And I actually haven't gotten the chance to read it yet, um, but I I just saw that the uh, they put out the preview on on one of the comic book websites, so I'll definitely check it out later. Yeah, I haven't seen the preview yet either, but it wasn't until you started talking about Grant Morrison's run with the Planet Love, that I was like, well, shit, who is writing this? And so I had to Google it real quick. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, looks like we are moving up and onward with the Superfam, and, you know, it's it's about damn time. There's no guarantee that it's going to be any good. Mm -hmm. But the Superman family has been spinning its wheels for 15 years. They've had all kinds of... Big, huge stories, don't get me wrong, but every single time, and that nobody can argue this, but every single time, we knew exactly how it was going to end up. We didn't know all of the elements, but we knew that Lois and Superman and Fam were going to be all right. And this, this is pointing shit in a totally different direction. So, you know, whatever comes our way, at least it's better than nothing. Yeah, I, I just, I, you know, I hope it's interesting. Um, me too. Yeah. What uh? What other news beehives have? I've been talking forever, Rob. You got any news? <laughs> uh, honestly, I was looking, and there's there's nothing really pressing. Mm. I think well, we what about, the what about personal news? What what else have you been reading lately aside from uh, your assigned material? Oh, it was a hefty week. I haven't had time to really read <laughs> much else. <laughs> oh, Barty. Uh, uh, a couple of couple of Marvel books, but they could. I'd save that for the other podcast. Mm. Heroes Reborn is interesting, but that, that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Josh? Have you been reading anything interesting outside of our assigned reading pool? I actually just gave in and decided that I was going to begin my Invincible run. Oh, um, very nice. I have never read an issue of Invincible. Oh, yeah, uh, it's, it's a ride. The the uh the, the guy Anthony I don't know um, I'm sure you guys have talked to him in the Slack channel but uh, Anthony is the guy that was with me from pretty much day one for the podcast and he's been bugging me to read this forever mm. so finally after nearly a year later I am I'm giving in after watching that TV show and <laughs> my 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 goodness is there a lot of issues to go through so uh, I'll be busy for a while there. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's good. I um, I, I continue, um, reading my my new fifty two dark titles. Um, you know, kind of finishing up those, and I'm I've actually started reading um, Hellboy. I don't know if you guys have, have read any Hellboy, but a, a friend oh, yeah. of mine was like really into it, and I, I kind of I had read a couple issues, but I hadn't really gotten into it. But um, I don't know, something clicked for me recently, and I was like, I should check it out again. So, um, I've been reading like a lot of the the Hellboy and BTRD books and just that whole like Mignolaverse stuff. And it's, it's really cool. No, Hey, we were talking about the dreaming uh, earlier. Mm. We don't cover it. We don't cover the Sandman universe on this podcast uh, just because it's so deep. And I mean, really to talk about it, it would take an hour to go over every episode, uh, every issue. But uh, anybody out there, man, if you're interested in any kind of fantasy, mystical, 
uh, story that that is just breathtaking to look at. And that's in every single title that's under the Sandman universe. Go start reading that stuff. It's been out for a while. If you haven't been reading it, it's been out for a while. You could probably go find that in the cardboard box at your local comic book shop. Or I'm sure that it's on DC Universe Infinite. Uh, but go read it, man. It's a it's a real good time. Yeah, and I, I'd even take it a step further and, and say, you know, go check out some of the, the Vertigo originals. One of my favorites of oh, yes. the, the old Neil Gaiman stuff is, um, is Books of Magic. Um, which is kind of a, a book that focuses on uh, this kid named Timothy Hunter, and it, it's got a little bit of a Harry Potter vibe to it. But it's it's just it's a, a really little. beautiful story and kind of an exploration of what magic can be and how you know it can go one way or the other, good or evil. And um, there's just a lot to like about, especially some of that older Vertigo stuff that I, I know I definitely have a soft spot for. Yeah, I actually this year just got my wife to start picking up all of the Neil Gaiman stuff because oh, yeah. she had heard of them before from uh, what was that TV show we just started uh, watching here a couple of years ago with the angels in it. Uh, um, man, I can't ooh, wait. Oh, uh, oh, I should know this. Oh, my God. Uh, I read the comic book, too, and I'm completely blanking. But she she recognized yeah. his name from there, and I started talking about all the different books that he had read or written as far as comic books go. And then I started mentioning the regular books that he had written, and she's like, "Oh my god, I had heard of that! I had heard of that! I've heard of yeah. that!" So she is about uh, five months into exploring Neil Gaim- Gaiman's uh, Sandman universe okay. and all of its glory. And after she gets done with that, she's gonna go. Uh, listen to the latest audiobook, and mm. we're gonna do that one together because I haven't um, listened to it yet. Is it is it um, American Gods, or is it is it Good Omens? Because I, I just remember them now. Oh, Good Omens. That's Good Omens. that's yeah. the one. Yeah. That's the one that got her into gaming. Okay. And then, uh, but yeah, the new audiobook that came out, it's got some great a top oh, of the yeah. line it's, actors I, in it, and I'm excited to listen to that one. Yeah, now. I um. I forget if it's on Audible or Spotify, but one of, one of my friends had an account and he let me listen to one of the episodes. And it was really well done, I have to say. Um, yeah. Especially they got um, the the guy who was in the um, oh god, what was it? The I want to say the Bill- was McAvoy. No, no, no. Well, he was really good too. But the guy I want to say he was he was in Kingsman, but he was also I think in the Billy Joel like biopic. Um, oh, Karen uh, Edgerton, his yeah. name is John oh, oh, Constantine, yeah. um, and his voice—it does sound a little like younger than you'd think for a Constantine, but it still does pretty good. Like he definitely gets the the accent right, I think. Good deal, good yeah. deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. if we're talking Vertigo, though, I just remembered I still have to finish Preacher. Oh. Oh, oh man! Fantastic book that is. Oh my god! Preacher's yeah. awesome. Yeah. When it, the show came out, I started picking up the the uh, big volumes, and I just I haven't had a chance to get them all. But oh my god, what a fantastic book! Yeah, there there are so many just like Vertigo books that I love from that old era. But I think I think hands down, my favorites still have to be. It, it's kind of hard to choose between the three, but a um, hundred bullets the authority and why the last man are still like my top three oh. and those could easily be at number one um like they're just they're they're so incredible and they have like such a special spot in in my heart and in my collection they're just uh all three are interchangeable for first second and third huh 
No, no, they are all at number one. I couldn't like they're ah. in no particular oh. order. I don't even know where to put them. Like they're they're that good <laughs> for me. Like I, I've probably read Why the Last Man almost three times. It just it like oh, wow. it sticks with That's me so much. Definitely worth it. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was really a good book. Mm. I was like that with Preacher. I was like that with. Uh... I was like that with Brubaker's Criminal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one, too. And uh, Donny Cates' Paybacks, man. I, I did not get... I, the first time I ever read that was uh, end of last year. That's dude. so funny, because I, I literally just picked up the Paybacks, like, a couple weeks back. I still haven't gotten a chance to read it. Um, I got a copy from the library, of all places, but... Um, it's, it's, dude, it's, it's a like, fun ride. Yeah, man. it's just, like, sitting in my corner, like, glaring at me, waiting for me to, to sit down and actually read it, but... It looked like fun, and I, I really liked uh, Baby Teeth, so I wanted to check it out. And Crossover. Crossover, yeah, that's the that's the other one I'm into right now. Mm. That's outside of D.C. Kind of, sort of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All um, right, well, I guess we should get into D.C. Yeah, comics, should, huh? Should we get into the stories? I suppose so. Uh, before we jump into it, everybody... We did not do the Festival of Heroes. There's so many books out this week, and anthologies would have made this an extra hour and a half long. So we yeah. skipped it, but real quick, it's 100 pages, 11 stories, and $10. Uh, it's actually pretty good. I'm not a fan of anthology books to begin with, but this one had some pretty solid stories in it. The art's amazing all the way through, even in the little kid-themed parts. And I love the Monkey Prince. That's a really cool new character. It's a good buy, y'all. Go check it out. Yeah, yeah, and and also I just I, if we if we added on another anthology, your poor host would be like drowning in books because I, I looked over my <laughs> schedule for this week and including the DC books, the Marvel books, and the indie books that I keep up with, it was like sixteen, and I was just like, holy oh, shit, God. dude! <laughs> I, just, I did not have the time for that. I mean, like, there's only so many hours in a day. Plus, I gotta right. you know type up the summaries and everything. But, we uh, we've got a theory in the Slack out there, guys. That uh-huh. Brandon is actually one of the flashes. Uh, he manages to get so much done and be in so many different places at once. But every once in a while, he's late, and I think that's kind of trademark Flash too, isn't it? It may be. It's, it's I'll tell you what it is. It's scheduling like crazy. Because uh, I mean, it would be impossible for me to read like all the books and just you know, in like two hours. So really you just kind of have to have like micro time where you can just <laughs> squeeze in a couple books here and there. So, you know, like if I have an hour before work or something, I could probably squeeze in three books and then afterwards then I can squeeze in, you know, another two and I can probably fit a shorter one during, you know, a break at work. And it just, it kind of, you just kind of have to figure out how it, how it, how you can actually get the time to do it all. Um, oh, yeah. What you know. Back when I was working, and I was working a lot of hours, man, it was like mm-hmm. I'd read one book before, you know, while I was drinking my coffee in the morning. I'd read another book on my lunch break. I'd read two more when I got home and maybe one right before I went to bed, and then I'd have to do the other half because back then, D.C. was putting out sometimes 15 books a week. Yeah. And half of them were good. <laughs> yeah, no. I, uh, it's it's a little easier with some of the Marvel books just because they have this great thing where you can um, scan like a code in the book and upload the digital copies. So if I can't bring physical books to work, I can just scan it on my phone and then read it on Comixology while I have like a break or something, or you know I'm I'm waiting behind the counter and, and 
you know, no one's coming by and I can squeeze in a couple pages. But anyway. Oh, that's pretty cool, man. I'm, I didn't I'm, know that. I'm no flash. Trust me. That's, that's, that's <laughs> on my bike ride today. Uh, but uh, <laughs> without any further ado, let's get into the books for this week. All right. So today, I guess you're first up, huh? Yep. We'll be starting with Wonder Woman number 772. Uh, this issue was brought to us by Becky Cloonan, Michael W. Conrad, with art by Travis Moore and coloring by Tamara Bonvillain. Uh, so after escaping from the belly of Midhog and gaining access to the key through the help of a mysterious figure, Wonder Woman has uh, a brief encounter with Siegfried who basically warns Wonder Woman of the danger of going to the Valkyries. On the battlefield, Odin chides Thor for his lack of initiative and lack of any kind of drive to find out what's really going on in Asgard. But nevertheless, after Odin is crushed by a boulder, uh, Thor and Wonder Woman engage the uh, fighters in combat, where ultimately Wonder Woman is crushed by a lobster's claw and killed yet again. after having yet another vision uh, alluding to some greater mysterious danger in Olympus, the mysterious figure reveals himself to be Dead Man, who basically states that Wonder Woman has a duty to return to Olympus as soon as she can and that she must leave Asgard immediately. She doesn't belong here. Uh, nevertheless, Wonder Woman is forced to run away after a brief encounter with Siegfried, who is being pursued by the Valkyries and then makes it off into a mysterious wood where she is confronted by a dark mystical version of herself. This version confronts Wonder Woman, basically stating that she is the authentic version of Wonder Woman, the one that she secretly desires, who loves battle and war and everything in between. After engaging with the dark mystical Wonder Woman for a little bit, it is revealed that it's secretly an illusion of Dr. Psycho, who basically warns her that if she continues on her path seeking out the Valkyries, she will be stuck like the dark, mysterious vision that she appeared to be. After journeying a little bit further through the woods, she encounters a strange man aboard a boat, who, after speaking in a strange language at first, reveals himself to be a reincarnated version of Odin, who basically takes on different forms each time he is killed and reborn. After that, and a brief discussion on the dangers of finding the Valkyries, Odin and Wonder Woman set off to the Fortress of the Valkyries, where Odin basically wishes Wonder Woman luck, but knows that the danger has only just begun. Um, I still kind of really like this series. I I don't know what it is about the Norse setting for Wonder Woman. It really, really works, especially paired with Travis Moore's artwork. Um, And I think I see that Mm -hmm. most evidently in the, the fight scenes which I know sounds kind of like generic, but it really works, especially when Wonder Woman's fighting alongside Odin. Um, and the coloring is works excellently um, with those particular scenes. So this setting is just, it's super cool. And it's, I mean, I know it's probably going to be resolved in the next issue because if I remember correctly, the uh, 774 is going to see Wonder Woman in like an Egyptian setting, but... Um, I, I still kind of like this this exploration of, of Wonder Woman in a different uh, fantasy setting with you know yeah. different pantheons involved, and it's going to be interesting to see where her journey takes her at Fortress Valkyrie. But um, I'm really digging it, and um, you know, it's it's I think sometimes the dialogue can be a little bit wonky for me at least, where 
Sometimes it's really serious. Sometimes it's kind of jokey. Well, yeah. I mean, it kind of depends on who she's talking to. Yeah, for sure. Um, So, yeah, sometimes it's like, you know, formal, like, I am Princess Diana, yada, yada, yada. And sometimes it's like kind of jokey. And you're like, what? What's going on? Um, But on the whole, in terms of the actual story, um, I'm still having a really fun time. So I ended up giving this one a 7.75. But what did you guys think? I still like the story. Now, it's been more this whole time, right? Mm-hmm. More and Bond villain. They've been this art team throughout the whole arc? Yes. All right. They just, I don't know why, but it, the art fell a little off to me this time. Like, a little bit lesser of a quality. Uh, anyway, the story is still cool, getting killed by a crab claw aside. But, but while I like the character, I think Dead Man being here is... I think it's stupid. Really? <laughs> he just oh. does. Yeah. I mean, I love Deadman. Uh, Boston Brand is a cool character, man, and he shows up at just the right time in a lot of different stories. Mm-hmm. But for me, he just doesn't seem to fit in here. I mean, did you did you think it was going to be someone else? I had no clue who it would be, but Deadman just kind of seems out of nowhere. It's not like him and Diana have some kind of long running established relationship. I mean. I was thinking maybe Dr. Fate, maybe the Spectre, somebody that would have some kind of fate or control or mysticism tie. Yeah, well, I guess, I mean, I guess looking at, like, you know, we get those scenes where the person is speaking in shadow and we don't really see who it actually is. And I guess we kind of get a clue because if you look really, really closely, you can actually see the collar of Dead Man. Um, it's kind of hard to spot, but you can you can almost see like a brief little things jutting out the side of of where his arms are on both sides. But um, I don't yeah, know. I, but I, I mean, kinda... unless you know to look for that yeah, specifically, you, know you don't look man. at that you're, and think you're, dead you're man. Not, no, <laughs> no. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, almost I, just I, look like really big shoulder blades. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or or '90s Nightwing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or '80s Disco Wing. There you go. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I. I I didn't. I didn't hate the dead man thing. I mean, you're right. I don't know what relationship they have, if any at all. But um, it just. I mean, it's not like I've got a problem with dead man. Like no, I said, no, no, I like no. him. Just, it's just. It. I don't see how it fits. It's yeah. just kind of like it would have been like uh, having Mister McZimblepick show up and save the day in death metal. It just. Yeah. It don't fit. You I know? don't know. I kind of. I, after how crazy it got, I kind of would have been down for that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you. I hear you. I gave the I gave that part of the book a seven out of ten, man. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Rob, what did you think? I, I thought it was beautiful. I love. I'm honestly, I'm loving this story. I'm loving the artwork. This is one of my favorite books written for Frontier so far. I, I the idea of her in this pantheon and just going to explore other pantheons, I think, is a very interesting twist. I don't know if it's ever been done in her eighty years of history, mm. but I think it's a great idea. And it's new to me, so it's new territory, and I think it, it's it's interesting to see somebody do that who's so tied to a specific pantheon. Yeah. But- I, let me play devil's advocate here for you. Let me play devil's advocate for you here, Rob. Um, what if this is just the, the storyline that we're getting is just like some kind of an overreaction from DC Comics? When we saw... Uh, Yara Floor come out in Future State and everybody was out including us was like oh my god I love this a Wonder Woman and a new pantheon that we get to discover and all of this so they're like well let's sling Diana through the rest of them 
Because, I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like. And while the story and the premise is cool, I worry that we're going to feel like it's just going to be the same story over and over again as she moves through these different pantheons. I hope it isn't that. Uh, I have to double-check the solicits because last time I remember, like, she, if I remember correctly, she, like, knows that she needs to... Um, to be in Olympus, but okay. So at least the like mission that. changes a yeah, little yeah, bit. Like, like she, All she right, there's the development. Back, I think, but um, I, yeah, I gotta, I gotta double check that one. But yeah, I hope it, I hope it isn't, you know, just going through every single pantheon exists because yeah, that could get you know repetitive after a while. I, I wouldn't mind that personally because when I was reading this issue, I was thinking as much as I'm loving it. I was surprised that it was still on to part three with this pantheon. And I figured if they were going to jump from pantheon to pantheon, it'd be a much shorter story. Mm. Well, if like that's the case, if they're going to issue a pantheon, if they're going to be moving and, you know, then great. The arc needs to be much longer. Mm. Let's 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 also make sure that we're not rushing everything in at the fucking end. Yeah. Yeah. No, you don't want that. Now, did either of you notice the Valkyrie Fortress is suspiciously shaped like a W? No, I did not. I, I did notice that. That's a good catch. <laughs> so that that could be something, could be nothing. Who knows? Should be. Maybe all the Valkyries look like Diana. <laughs> <laughs> so we haven't actually seen one yet, have we? Yeah, it wouldn't have shot. Maybe what she fought in the forest was a Valkyrie. <laughs> Perhaps. Who knows? Anyway, uh... <laughs> Yeah, I, I honestly, I, I loved it. I thought the art was great. I gave this a nine. Nice. Ooh. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Great. Well, we're not quite done with Diana yet, as we'll be following her adventures on Themyscira with The Adventures of Young Diana, which will be brought to us by Rob. Want to take it away? Will do. So this one comes from writer Jordi Belair, with art by Paulina Ganuchot. Colors from Kendall Good and Letters by Becca Carey. Young Diana heads to Oanon for lessons on deep diving. Oanon lends her an underwater breathing mask while she is undersea. Unbeknownst to Oanon, Diana is diving to find the lost book from our last chapter. Diana finds a young shark that brings her to underwater ruins. These ruins hold the book she is looking for. Upon finding it, Diana questions why it is down there and maybe if it was put there for a reason. It felt like a long chapter, but there really wasn't a lot happened. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, it, yeah. it literally was just like she guesses that the book is in the ocean, yeah. and it is. And Once she blocking. gets it. And that's <laughs> it was it. interesting. Yeah. It, was, it was definitely a lot more interesting than our, our last chapter. Yeah. But I still, reading it, I still feel like it would be so much better in a children's book, in, in its own kind of like geared towards children's comics. Yeah. It doesn't feel. It doesn't mesh well with the main story we're getting. Yeah, I just in the rest of the yeah, book. Yeah, I, I think I, I think it's just like, and I don't want to sound like oh, I'm booster sophisticated, but it just feels like so um, simple. Like it, it like mm -hmm. I said, it literally is. Diana guesses the book is in the ocean. The book is in the ocean. She goes in <laughs> and finds it, and that's the end of the story. Like. It's like one of those thick cardboard books for a two-year-old. Exactly. Like, what happens, happens. <laughs> There's no suspense to it at all. I mean, she meets a, a small megalodon. That's probably the most suspenseful thing that happens. And then the story is over. 
And that didn't even like that was just kind of brushed over yeah, as just, well. But this, this baby shark is just do 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 do. Yeah, but, but that's why. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with, I agree with you, both you and Josh. It's literally like the like the characters and everything feels simple and childlike, and that's fine. But it just doesn't fit here. Unless yeah. you no, it, it's it's just like that, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> the ideas here are not bad on paper. Standing alone, the Wonder Woman story is fantastic. The young Diana story is fantastic for little kids. Mm-hmm. However, what are you doing pushing them in the same book? Because you yeah. can't. I mean, you a, a parent is not gonna watch a kid read through twenty pages of viking bloodshed and reincarnation to get eight pages Uh, you know what i'm saying that's ridiculous or i guess maybe they're thinking the grown-ups are gonna read wonder woman and then they're gonna get to the back of and say i don't want to read this shit and then they read it to their kids that well that's a very stupid business plan (laughs) it's like it's like maybe it's like a fun for the whole family type of thing where it's like you get your part they get their part that's how it is i don't think that's a good idea but uh, maybe that's what they're going for. Yeah, maybe. I'll, the first issue, first two issues, I felt like this was being aimed at like the 9 to 11-year-old crowd. Mm-hmm. With this issue, I feel like it's closer to the 5 to 6-year-old crowd. Yeah. And, you know, with all of these things considered, the story's not that great. Like we said, it feels like it's a cardboard book. Man, I got to give this. It's a great attempt, and I'm not, for what it is, it is not bad. But putting it together with this kind of book and all the things considered that we mentioned before, this backup is getting a five out of ten for me. Yeah, no, I mean it. It like I said, it was it was painfully simple. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I mean painfully for me. I don't know how it would be to a ten year old, but it just like literally what happens happens. There's no suspense to it. It is a story that exists, I guess. So I ended up giving this one a six out of ten. I did like the art though. Um, I, I think it's a nice, you know, cutesy style, but and it works with the tone of the story. But that, that's about all I have to say. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking the same thing. The art is is cute, and again, for a children's book, it's actually quite nice. I I did have a thought though, and I I don't know how I'd feel about it if this ended up happening. What if the story we're seeing in Young Diana will eventually, by the time we get to the end, have a purpose in the main story? Maybe this book that they keep talking about, this whole MacGuffin, has some big purpose towards getting Diana back to Olympus. Uh, I mean, okay, so that's possible, but god damn, that's a lot of winding together. Yeah, that's a big stretch. Yeah. Now, I could see it if it were an adult story. Fucking no stretch of the imagination. I could totally see them weaving two stories together like that but mm-hmm. two different kinds of stories for two different yeah. kinds of audiences yeah. yeah i mean if they do that i i just think that's gonna be a bad idea it's gonna leave a lot of sour tastes in the mouth for wonder woman and mm-hmm. she don't deserve that her comic books have kind of sucked lately uh, yeah no i i hope i hope not but like i said i think it's an interesting direction but i i hope yeah i, I hope that's that's not the route they would go yeah i if you at least want to make it a little bit more exciting the whole time she was underwater i was expecting something atlantean to pop it even if you just <laughs> right? see like a like a young arthur for some reason just down in the ocean swimming by and, mm-hmm. and 
just for no really in the background they don't even have to interact just like <laughs> a little nod to the fans but yeah yeah it just got some that being said i still gave this a 7 out of 10 for me it was just because it was such a step up from the last chapter which was like a stepping stone in this whole story yeah we'll see how it goes later on yeah no we'll see but uh with that final scores guys i gave this a final score of 6 out of 10 man mm. Ooh. Yeah, that backup I, issue just dragged it down, and like I said, the art I've seen better in this run out of more and Bonfilin. So, gotta call it like I see it, man. No, fair enough. What about you, Rob? I gave this overall. Uh, gave it an eight point five. Nice. I loved the main story. Didn't really love the backup story, so it kind of balances itself out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. I ended up giving the main story 7.75, the backup a 6. That averages out to about 6.875, but because I'm nice, I'll round up today and give it a 7 out of 10. Man, put that calculator away. You're not in college anymore. No, no, it must be precise. It must be precise. I literally, if you if you had my, my script, if I sent you my script, I literally have for one of the... Uh, well, I'll reveal it later, but for one of the stories, I had a score of, a mean score of 7.9375, and I was going to round <laughs> it up to an 8, because I wanted to be exact. But anyway, moving on, <laughs> let's head over to Metropolis and check in with the Big Blue Boy Scout. Fuck. Moving on, let's head over to Metropolis and check in with the Big Blue Boy Scout in Superman number 31. Josh, you want to tell us all about that one? Yeah, sure, no problem. Uh, we're not on Metropolis, but we are written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, and we've got art from Scott Godlewski and Norm Ratman, who we see together all the time. Gabe L. Tabes on colors, and John Tim was on the cover, with Dave Sharp bringing us those letters. And we're back on Thackram, and Superman is trying to talk to his old friend Falder, but he soon figures out that Falder is under the control of the Shadow Breed, and they've stopped feeding on the one who fell and started feeding on live hosts. Um, real quick, calling him the one who fell reminds me the same way that the Batman who laughs did does, of, of, of Voldemort, yeah. or excuse me, of Voldemort with the whole he who shall not be named stuff. It's, can we get away from these I, kinds I was, of titles, I was literally man? thinking of, I was literally thinking of the one who laughs and I was just like, oh no, not, not another one of these like super descriptive title names again. Right. So grating. So super descriptive and vague all at the same time yeah <laughs> anyway uh so the these live hosts are under the control of the shadow breed and as you might imagine there's a battle in the middle of the battle john shows off a bit with this inventive new way to use his heat vision he concentrates it one area on some water molecules and makes it go kaboom that's pretty neat even Superman's impressed. I thought that was pretty cool. So they leave the planet for one of the moons so they can uh, think a little bit. They run into Carathobacchus, the former student of Falder, and we find out that they took out the big bad last time with the light bomb. John goes to Carath to protect him while he's working in the lab trying to make another bomb of light. There's a bit of a problem, and Superman and John find out separately that the Shadow Breed has taken over way more people than they thought. The story wraps up pretty quickly from there, though it is spread out over a few pages, and it is 
definitely meant to show us that John should have nothing to fear trying to live up to his dad. As per the usual, I enjoy Ratman's art far more than Godlewski's. Altabe's coloring was on point as always, and I'm still liking the new direction in which these things are headed, like I said before. So far, so good. It does get a little thick with dialogue in places, but it works well to move the story forward, man. I tell everybody out there, go pick this one up. The run is worth the read so far. So it gets an 8 out of 10 for me. Cool, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I actually... I was kind of different, where I found um, Norm Rayson's art to be a little jarring. Um, it just it, it felt a little weird, like going from the smooth lines of Godlewski to kind of, I don't know, it felt a little stiffer. And I, I don't think their styles meshed as, as well um, as, as I would have liked, just for the book to feel more seamless. But um, they uh, they have paired up quite a few times over the course of the last year. Yeah, and yeah. and I just when it comes to God, I don't know what it is quite about his art, but for it's, me, it's I just, just the faces, I think. But maybe, yeah, maybe that and yeah, because I'm kind of a stickler for that. My superheroes need to look like superheroes and yeah. not clay. Well, it's but, just uh, I don't know. It's like <laughs> sometimes his faces can look a little weird, where like the eyes are really wide and they look like like horses but yeah there you go that's a perfect example (laughs) um but yeah no this was a it was a cool issue i think it was a little more dense than the last one and and yeah definitely yeah got a little bit too explainy with john and bacchus um you know like i i there were definitely parts where I was like, okay, you could have cut that down because it felt like you're just you're really digging into the explanation and like you really don't need that much exposition. But mm-hmm. um, it was it was still fine for me. Like I'm I'm still interested in this new progression for John, and it's clear that they are they're absolutely building him up to be you know the sole Superman. Where Clark is just like, you are going to do the thing that I cannot do. Wink, 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 because you're gonna be Superman next, and. Yeah, they're really hammering that in. Um, but yeah. you know, it and it, definitely it, not hiding it. No, not at all. Um, but you know, it, it works in some moments and and maybe not so much in others. But I still had a decent enough time, and I ended up giving this one a seven out of ten. Yeah, I rather enjoyed this one. I thought this this I'm looking at this as a whole now, between uh-huh. this and Action Comics and the first story we got, mm. and this story is just much much better. As an overall arc, it is totally working in a pass-the-torch kind of story. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's serving its purpose in that way, but as kind of a standalone story, I just don't know how much it works like that. Uh, well, really, if we're going to be honest about it, see, I enjoyed this story, and I like what's happening in the story, but if we were just to look at it as a standalone arc... And grade it, it probably would not get that high from me. It's just the implications yeah. and the way that it's written that that I'm enjoying. But the the actual arc itself isn't if standalone. It's it it doesn't have much to it other than there being a passing of the torch. Yeah, other than because I guess that's what I'm thinking about. Where, um, you know, if if you were to look at it from this perspective where you don't know that John is going to be Superman next, or we hadn't gotten that announcement that he would be getting his own relaunch, you know, Superman, Son of L. 
would we still kind of be like, oh, you know, this story still has its merits, or because we know John is going to be Superman next, we've already seen the cover of the book, we know Tom Taylor is going to be writing it, are, is, is there more, like, I don't know, excitement because of that or because of the actual story? Because to be entirely honest, I feel like for me it's just the excitement of John's going to be Superman soon and I want to see what that's like. But I don't know how you guys feel. I can't say I'm overly excited, or at least not as excited as, as you seem to be well, about well, yeah, John Maybe Superman. excited is not the right word, just interested, I guess. Yeah, I, I can say I'm interested, but I'll, I'll be honest, I much preferred John when he was a little kid. <laughs> I still feel like there was so many more stories that could have been explored in that, and any time we get even a digital first of Super Sons, I get excited. Because that dynamic they had as children, I thought was fantastic, and I love that. And he just grew up way too fast. Yeah, and we lost out on so much that we could have had. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's a problem. I've got to. Is just yeah. It's too soon. And it, oh. it's it's weird to have a Superman who like I don't know didn't get that that childhood because I feel like that's a defining part of Superman as well, like his time in Smallville and it you is. know being Superboy and all that stuff. Look at like, it from an editorial point of John, view. If John, we just get the oh, exact yeah. same guy, then then that's gonna be boring as hell. Yeah, I guess, I guess it just I don't know. Like I'm I'm a little more with Rob where I'm interested to see him be Superman, but I, I feel like you're you're always gonna have that problem of why didn't he have the normal childhood? Why did he spend half his time being locked up with Ultraman or whatever the hell it was? <laughs> All right, so let's look at it. Maybe we could look at it this way. The reason why it's going to be so different and the reason why Superman is so confident in John's ability mm-hmm. is the fact that Superman had to use his entire life on Earth to get ready to go take on War World. While, meanwhile, Jonathan had to live inside of a volcanic War World for a thousand damn years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that he, he feels as though, Super, Superman feels as though he's getting ready to go out and do his greatest test ever, and he feels that's something that Jonathan's already passed. Yeah. Of course, maybe uh, I'm crazy, but as far as I know, the Son of L book is going to be completely replacing the Superman title. Clark will only be in Action Comics and the Authority crossover. Yeah. Oh, damn. Yep. Well, that'll be interesting. Yeah, cause that, that being said, like I was... I, I'm I'm seeing a lot of themes now as I'm reading this issue. I'm I'm thinking about everything that's coming and that we have seen, and I'm seeing all these themes, like the title you know, alone of Superman. We've spent eighty plus years looking at the title Superman being Clark Kent, but the mm-hmm. title Superman is just a title, and we have two Supermen in the book. Yeah, so yeah. it still works, uh, d- despite the fact that I still wish we saw John Kent as a kid, and I love Superboy. Uh, it still works in that regard. And even what you're saying with Clark going off to Warworld, when you said it earlier in this episode, and you said he's going off to Warworld, you take out World, he's going off to War. And it's this whole idea of, is the father, he's going off to War, and now the son is the man of the house. Mm. Yeah. Which isn't a bad idea. I can see that. Yeah. Like that's, no, that's, it's that's really an not. interesting idea. You may be on to something there. However, let me just jut in here real quick and say that I don't have any special attachment to John Kent remaining or staying a child other than the fact that it fucked up my super sons. (laughs) (laughs) Other than that, I don't have a problem with it. 
Yeah. I, I'm, at least we're, we'll still... Who is it this rating? Is Tomasi rating the Super Sun stuff? I have Do you no guys idea. Remember? I don't even know if it's still going. I know they have had a couple they, like mini-series, but... Yeah. Well, they, yeah, they it's some, uh, Ridley... It's Ridley something. Ridley Pierce? No, that's the so, uh, that's the those are the YA books. I think they they have like a another digital first series that's going on right now. And I'm pretty sure that's yeah, like Adventures yeah. of the Super Sons. Yeah, the no, fact that we're getting that still is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. If you want your fixins, you can you can go over there. Yeah, my eight year old son first he he read the uh, uh, the Super Sons Polar Project, mm. which was uh, you know the YA book at first. And then, you know, he was talking about how much he liked the two together, so I let him read some of the, the Super Sons comic books, and he mm-hmm. dug it. I mean, I he went right into it. And then he yeah. went back to the next book, and he was like, what the hell is this? Uh-huh. I mean, he didn't use those words exactly, I but he, he was like, why would they? Because they changed Damien's race. They changed Damien's name. They changed his hair color. It was really messed up, dude. Yeah, I mean, he didn't. I don't, I don't he didn't. Know. He's I like, think... it does, he's like, other than just the looks, he doesn't even act the same. He's just kind of a dick in this book, <laughs> you know. Not in the in the YA book, yeah, no, I've, I've yeah. seen like the memes oh, wow. about that, where like he's his name is like Ian or something, and he has like this ginger. Yeah, hair he went something. by Ian now. Yeah, that's weird. I, I haven't very read weird, it, but uh, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's uh, well, after he brought after he brought it to my attention, I went and read it, and I'm like, ew. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, well, swinging on back down to Metropolis, yeah. we're going to check in with uh, some of our street-level heroes in uh, a gangbuster and loose cannon story, which was brought to us by Sean Lewis, with artwork by Shami Basri, colors by uh, Ulysses Ariola, and letters by Dave Sharp. Um so, gang I'm actually, really liking Sammy Basri, by the way. Oh, yes. The more great. I see him in DC, the better I like him every yeah. single time. Oh, yeah, no. Amazing penciler. But Gangbuster is cleaning up the streets from a villain called Division while Loose Cannon watches on from a distance, worried about her violence. After briefly arguing with Gangbuster, Loose Cannon loses control of himself, flips out, and attacks Gangbuster, beating her within an inch of her life. After the ambulance shows up, Bibbo blames himself after trying to make up with Dolores and revealing too much. But it doesn't really mean anything, as Dolores states that things have only just begun to feel wrong. Um, so, a- as you can tell from my summary, pretty short story. Uh, most of it was kind of dedicated to the fight between uh, Gangbuster and Loose Cannon. Um, but I think of all the backups we've gotten so far, this one's probably my favorite. This is the one that I felt like has had the best dialogue, which had been my problem. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I, I think I think maybe it's either me really settling into it, or this was just more interesting. But this one really worked for me, um, and and that whole kind of fight sequence between Loose Cannon and uh, Gangbuster was really really well drawn by Shami Basri. Uh, so I echo your words, Josh, on just how good this guy is. Um, but. Yeah, no, I had a really fun time with this one. I actually enjoyed it more than the main story. And uh, I ended up giving it an 8 out of 10. But what did you guys think? Uh, it was a little too short. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Uh, this was cool. Uh, I've all... I have not 
always been a Superman fan. But I have always been a fan of the backstory people in Metropolis, Steel, Bibbo, Ambushbuck, all the guys that sit in the back, Gangbuster, Guardian. And I, I, it's really cool to see them all like kind of congregating in the same, even if it's a backup issue, to have them all you know, drawn and acknowledged is pretty cool, man. Yeah. I'm digging the vibe of the new Gangbuster. I... The old one was just brash. He kind of reminded me of like Frank Castle without a purpose. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I like this loose cannon guy. Uh, he seems cool, looks cool. I still have no clue if he's a new creation or not. <laughs> Do you guys have any idea? I did a little research. He's he's apparently he's not new, and he had a series in the '90s written by of all people Jeff Loeb. Um, oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess he was just kind of back then, like a generic brute type character. But at least this seems to be, you know, kind of reforming him. So that's why, you know, he has all that internal uh, dialogue about knowing what a monster is. And I guess, you know, in that case, he, yeah. he really, he really feels it. He's on the path to redemption here. Yeah. Well, I gave it a seven out of ten. Um. Not because the art of the story was bad, but honestly, I feel like there needs to be more to this. Yeah, fair enough. Rob, what did you think? I can agree with that idea of there needs to be more to this. Mm-hmm. I agree the story and art were great. I really enjoyed what I was reading until it got to the end. Mm-hmm. And then it started to kind of connect to what we've seen in previous Tales of Metropolis. And it's having this overall story with the projectress. Yeah. But now I'm getting a little confused about where this story fits. Because the last time we saw projectress, she was running away and she left Bibbo behind. But now they're in Bibbo's bar together and everything seems to be fine between the two of them. And now she's running away again from Bibbo. Yeah, it's, and, it sounds like Bibbo had or she had made contact with Bibbo again and they were trying to make things up, but it was clearly just a ploy to get Loose Cannon and Gangbuster to, to duke it out or something like that. But uh, that'd be my guess. That'd probably be a very good guess. Yeah. But I, that that just little thing, and that being in the background, it just brought the story a little down for me. It came into a halt mm. near the end. But that being said, I still love the story. I gave it a 6.5. Because of what Josh said, I wish there was more. Mm. And also that just confused me at the end. I'm loving this Tales of Metropolis thing. The side characters in Metropolis are fantastic characters. I love seeing this. I just wanted to make a little more sense. Mm -hmm. And I think they could do that if they gave us five or six more pages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. True, true. What were your final scores? I gave this a 7.5. I gave this an 8 total. Yeah, no, I had a 7.5 total. But uh, next we'll be going to Gotham City, or at least for a brief detour in Gotham City before we head to Belize uh, and check in with everyone's favorite commissioner, Jim Gordon, or ex-commissioner, I guess I should say. Yeah, ex-commissioner. He goes on his manhunt to seek out the Joker. Uh, So, Rob, if you want to tell us all about that main story, we can get started. Okay, so this one is coming from James Tinian IV, with art by Guillaume March, colors from Arif Prianto, and letters from Tom Napolitano. 
So, Jim Gordon, he's arriving at the airport to begin his hunt for the Joker. Meeting him there is Cressida, to give him the open fund credit card and details about his flight. After Cressida leaves, Oracle has Orphan tailing her to find out exactly who Cressida is. Jim arrives at his destination and begins befriending and questioning the locals. They all mention a resort in the mountains that nobody seems to want to talk about. Jim decides this is a good place to start looking. Thinking about the journey ahead of him and how he won't have to make the decision about killing Joker anytime soon, he knocks on the door of the resort and Joker answers. Taken back by this, Jim draws his gun but has guns drawn on him instantly. Joker surmised he is here because of the Arkham attack and reveals it wasn't him, yet everyone thinks it was. Due to that, there's hit people surrounding them in the forest and requests Jim keep his gun at the ready because he's about to need it. So I've just got one one little note here. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> that sounded like oh, eight man. little notes. Yeah. Oh, I, I might have gone off a little bit. <laughs> oh, Flipped through a whole post-it stack. Yeah. <laughs> it was, oh my, I, it, it was a little slow to start, but once it got going, it really got going. And I don't know about you guys, but I got so excited at that last page at that, that enemies but now they're gonna have to work together what's jim gonna do it's oh my god and all these players we've seen coming together for like a big brouhaha in the jungle <laughs> it's going to be it's a rumble in the jungle yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it goes and i i'm still convinced that big cloaked guy oh yeah I, is, I'm getting is bane. bane and if that is bane's daughter What's There's gonna, gonna be there? a throwdown. Oh yeah. Maybe Bane doesn't know he has a daughter. Hey, and his oh, daughter man. has been programmed to yeah. not give a fuck. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> Bane's daughter takes out Bane. That'd be insane. Well, I think I think I'd just be more shocked if it's like, you know, I, I forget. I think her name is Vengeance. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, if she if she, I think it'd be more funny if it's like. She says something like, I am vengeance, you know, daughter of Bane. And then Bane, who's been silent this entire time, is just like, I have a daughter? What the hell? And it's just like, (laughs) they really didn't waste any time in getting a replacement. Right, he's like, the fuck you say? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God, now I gotta start paying child support. Right. (laughs) Well, for all we know, she could be like, like Damien, like a test tube baby or something. Yeah, that's true. That's, uh, true. that's true. Like I, I was even thinking about it when we talked about the first issue of Robin, mm. and they had Bane's father there, and I, I mentioned how young he looks to have a son as old as Bane, and now we see Bane's daughter is a grown ass woman. How old are these people? They look like they're all 35. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> well, Bane should be like right around. 35 but his dad shouldn't <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but i i definitely could see I, I i'm not gonna say definitely could see but i kind of had a feeling that they were going to go with the route that the joker did not cause a day yeah oh i hadn't i yeah. i did not i did not see that coming whatsoever i thought yeah. that this was gonna go gritty detective for commissioner gordon and take like a personal turn, get a little psychological. I thought we were going to get a crime thriller. Nope, it's a Joker book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that being said, 
who the hell did it. Yeah, and well, I, I, I have a theory. I think, yeah, no, I think it's because <laughs> I was thinking the same thing as, as we finished the main story, which was, you know, who who would stand to gain the most taking Joker off the board? Because we see all these mm-hmm. different players basically saying, who? okay, we need Joker taken care of. Who? One, you know, one because I think there was a secret group who was like, you know, he killed one of our family members, so we obviously have to get vengeance, but. There are Ooh. clearly some people involved who are, who are kind of like, we need to just get him out of the way so we can kind of step in. And I think, I don't know, but I think it might be the court, specifically Trishida, who would have the most gain <laughs> from basically framing Joker, initiating a manhunt, and trying to take him off the board permanently so they can really cement themselves uh, in Gotham City. Which, to be honest, is kind of a stupid plan because it's like, you already tried that before. And Batman kick your ass the first time. I really don't know how much of a difference it's going to make without Joker there. Because Batman's still going to be able to take down the court. But I don't know. Maybe they have some new devious plan or something. But we'll see. What do you guys think? So what if this all gets tied together? The Court of Talent, the court of Owls, excuse me, is making some massive play over most of the DC world. Mm. Like perhaps trying to take the place of Checkmate? Uh, the reason why I'm saying this is because don't forget that William Cobb is over in the Suicide Squad books right now. Yeah. We still don't know why. Yeah. We don't know why. We have no idea if he's really crazy. There's a lot of unanswered questions there, mm-hmm. which is where my hoojo comes from. <laughs> but <laughs> I was thinking the exact same thing, and I'm so happy you picked up on it. <laughs> All right. I. I can kind of see why the if this is the case, I'm already talking like it's fact. But if this is the case and is the court doing this, I could see why they would go after the Joker now because he is the biggest psychopath that can ever attack Gotham, and he's probably the one thing they cannot control. And yes, Batman's kicked their ass a couple of times before, but they saw what Joker did to Batman during hey. Joker War. He lost everything. And they, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but they know he's Bruce Wayne, so they the know. Court? Yes, yes they, they know he's yeah. Bruce Wayne. Yeah, yeah. So they know he's no longer at the mansion. He's lost all his money. He's living out of a brownstone. He may be operating, but he doesn't have the resources that he used to have. Mm. He right. doesn't have. And he's older. As, he's fragile now. Not fragile, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. He, and they more never stopped broken. operating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if they take out the biggest threat to them, then it makes it so much easier for them to operate yeah maybe be able to take over gotham or the world i didn't even think about the fact that they could be trying to become the next like evil organization yeah well that was just my thought when you see kind of barbara really trying to investigate or sending cassandra to investigate you know what they're actually doing and it made me think like well if the joker attack wasn't actually done by the joker but by someone else who would really gain the most from framing the Joker and, you know, basically sentencing him to death? The Court of Owls. Yeah. Or, or yeah, whoever's behind it all, but the Court of Owls. Because the, re- and the reason why you take him off the board as quick as possible is because, let's look at him from, like, a psychological point of view. That was my major. I do that a lot. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, from a psychological point of view, he's a, soci- he's a sociopath with no motive nothing that prompts him to do anything mm-hmm. that makes him completely unpredictable yeah. so you go after him 
so you don't have any question marks on the board because everybody else you can analyze, spy on, figure out what's going on. The Joker, no matter what you do, is always going to be a question mark. Yeah, he's too unpredictable. Exactly. That's exactly what they alluded mm-hmm. on with Gordon's monologue at the beginning. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But um, what did you guys think of the issue overall? I know. I think I'm not sure if if Rob, you already gave your score. Not yet, but I did give this a nine out of ten. Mm. I, I honestly just getting more excited about this theory. I think I'm giving a nine point five. Awesome. And the the twist at the end. Okay. The it, Almost felt like a completely different comic book for the first ninety eight percent of this book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, boom! That twist at the end was it, the, okay. That part felt really Tom King Rorschach to me because of all the narrative internal dialogue and the shape of the caption boxes. But it didn't bother me. I felt like I was riding along with Gordon, and it worked for me. The art was good, the story was good, and that twist that that Joker did not do. The bombing, if that's the case, and I have a feeling that it is, because he sounds pissed. So I can't wait to see where this goes. I am all in, man. Eight point five out of ten, because it just keeps me guessing. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, no, I had a really great time with this issue as well. Um, it was, it was, I think, particularly fascinating to see Jim kind of narrate his whole procedure as a detective and really break down how you talk to people and get information on these places because i feel like we, d- we sometimes don't get enough of that like detective work is just kind of glossed over like yeah they just kind of walk around and do it but we don't actually get the process and i mean i know it's comics and you got to streamline it but sometimes it could be interesting to see that um, no it is interesting to see that brandon you're 100 percent right yeah because now in comics and shit for the last 15 years the go-to has been hey call that dude with the gadget so we can get that 30 seconds yeah well yeah i guess Jim Gordon is a fascinating character and seeing his whole methodology as a detective, you know, not some bumbling idiot, but someone who's a serious detective, is, it's, it's really fascinating. So um, I, I had a really great time. I think for me, just some of the parts where it was a little weak was um, I really loved the art by Dean Martz, but there were a couple panels that were a little sketchier than I'd have liked. Yes. Um, and it just, it kind of, Kind of stripped away from the story a little bit, but overall I had a pretty good time, so I ended up giving this one an 8 out of 10. But we're not quite done with the Joker yet, folks. We uh, need to move back to Gotham City to check in on his, uh, well, I guess not old squeeze, but his current squeeze, Punchline, uh, in a Punchline backup featuring our favorite character, Bluebird, as she checks in on one of his old friends. Oh, yeah. uh, Josh, do you want to take it away? Sure. Uh, Sam Johns and James Tynan IV wrote this with art from Mirka Andolfo and Romulo Fuyardo Jr. And on letters we have uh, Ariana Mar. We are kind of covering two different stories in this backup issue, or I guess like two different angles. Uh, first off, we got Punchline on the inside of the prison and Bluebird on the outside. Inside with Punchline, we left off with the Queen of Hearts getting Orca sent to the pen to beat up Punchline. It doesn't look like things go punchlines way, but how bad was it really? We don't know, and we're going to have to wait until at least next issue to find out. Uh, I'm glad that they didn't let Punchline kill Orca. Yeah. Because yeah. I would have been 
Oh my god, I would have yeah. yelled probably worse than oh. anybody that has made me yell on this podcast. I before. That would have pissed a me big off. Orca fan. Um, it's the, the, <laughs> I don't putting somebody over on like a massive muscle. Look at Punchline. Look at Orca. I mean, yeah. it's not that I'm a huge Orca fan. She's a cool character, but Punchline face to face, fist to fist, would have no chance of beating that. I mean, that would like be putting. Cisco from the Flash against Killer Shark, King Shark. Mm. I mean, it's just a bad idea, you know. Yeah, I'll say for a second there, it looked like she was going to get the upper hand, but I like the way that they <laughs> kind of ended that quickly, yeah. and it yeah. made sense. Yeah, I mean, her getting a shot off, sure, but winning, no, no, no. And getting hit in the head with a sink, how is she still alive? <laughs> she might not be. It looks like she, yeah, might, she not might not be. Not be. Um, yeah. I've had well, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> oh, hell, hell. It was back when I was in high school. I have actually ch- put, like, somebody's head through a sink, and they didn't die. Oh, wow. Oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's not awesome. I mean, that was not good behavior. Well, I am not endorsing anybody being that I, violent. I was a bad dude back no, then. Not cool. Not, but, not in real life, but when you said it, all I could think of was damn. Henry Cavill in Mission Impossible. I know. <laughs> freaking Batman over here. Yeah. Not Batman. That was in high school, homie. <laughs> okay, Robin. Right, he was Robin. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right, back to the books. With Bluebird, we left off with her following that Aiden dude, Punchline's former best friend, probably boyfriend, down into this place with all kinds of pre-Punchline Alexis stuff and her laboratory. Bluebird puts a little bit too much faith into the situation, and just like Punchline, things don't go good for Bluebird either. So both main characters are just having a shit week. (laughs) I I like this story, but it feels like a preview to a story, if that makes sense. This could all be easily covered in a Bluebird book, fleshed out much more rather than quick and crammed into ten or so more pages. And I say put it into a Bluebird book and use Punchline the same damn way you use Batman to sell other books. It looks great and it is fun, even though this one fell a little too quick. It's got not enough meat, even if it is enjoyable, so it only gets a 7.5 out of 10, which is pretty damn good for a backup story. You know, even you know for, for a backup story that isn't Justice League Dark. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it, yeah, it did, it did yeah. feel a little lighter this week especially um because it it felt it's weird that i'm gonna say it felt lighter and yet it felt like it was trying to cram so much stuff but i think that's why because it was trying to pack so much information about who punchline used to be in like a page that you just kind of it doesn't always sit with you and so you're just trying to kind of move past it and get to the story but like literally most of the stuff with bluebird is just the conversation with Aiden, and then she gets gassed, and then that's the end. Um, right. So it, it, it goes just, like thing A, thing B, thing C. Exactly. But no detail. Exactly. No exactly. depth. No nothing. It's yeah. like, we're just going to talk to on all of this. It's okay to do that in a caption box to explain away one thing, but don't do it for a whole fucking backstory. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if we had just had like 10 pages more, again, the size of a full-length issue, you could have had you know, Bluebird escape, resolve the thing with Aiden, and then we would kind of be more satisfied. But it's like, you won't get that for another month. And it's just, it's really weird pacing. Um, so 
it was it was fine, and I, I still am kind of a fan of Mirka Andolfo's artwork in this. I, I just really like the way she does the the Bluebird costume. But yeah, for me, a lot of the oh, it all looks really good. Yeah, a lot of the mm-hmm. explanation stuff kind of fell flat at times, and I, I ended up giving this one a seven point five out of ten, which isn't bad. Just you know, not as good I think as the, some of the previous drafts. No, and I think that's kind of typical Sam Johns too. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Altogether, I gave this an eight out of ten. Yeah, Rob. What uh, What did you think of the backup and uh, story as a whole, or issue as a whole? I I did feel it was very short, but it was still a, a good chapter. I think, and I'm very happy with how they handled the Alexis Orca fight. Mm. It could have gone in a very different way, and. Okay shouldn't have <laughs> exactly yeah, I, I i like the twist on alexis's friend that if alexis is dead he's the new punchline maybe but we'll see how that goes yeah and yeah i i don't want to wait a whole month to find out what happens now <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah we'll, we'll see uh, i i gave punchline an eight out of ten and for the whole book i gave a solid nine right on yeah, very cool. I um I also gave this well, I gave the backup a seven point five, so my uh I guess full score would be a a seven point two five, but that doesn't really sit right with me, so I'm gonna just round that one up to an eight, which I feel is a little better. I think I was just a little harsher on the the punchline backup, but I actually kind of enjoyed it in a way. But next Hold on, hold on. Before we get into urban legends, mm. I gotta ask you guys a question. This Hopefully it's a little fun. All right, so let's say Aiden doesn't become the new punchline, but does become somebody. Let's all play James Tynan right now and come up with the corniest fucking name for oh, this God. cat. Um, I already thought I, as you were saying, I was thinking, oh, this is what setup. <laughs> there you go. Because you have the joke, the setup, and the punchline. Setup? No. Oh, that's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, but that's like so bad that it, it works. <laughs> it's a really bad joke. Oh. Oh, wait, hold on. Joke punchline <laughs> callback. Wait, no, 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 no. Yeah. I think Rob, <laughs> Rob, you're like a genius because that works. It could work. Literally, like good His, work. his whole monologue was about how he was basically setting up Alexis's podcast and helping her with the formulas. Oh, and yeah. In a way, he was basically setting up her career. And if her career was being punchline, then he is the setup. Oh my god. Rob I was just making a bad joke. I, know, I didn't like, think I was right. Genius. <laughs> That's so stupid. Uh, I was going to say, if anything, works. it could be he could be like a hack comedian and just call him ripoff. Yeah. But no, setup is no, better. Setup is better. I hope James isn't okay. listening to this. Because it'll mug your. That's what it's going to be. But I, I don't know. Maybe you'll get some royalties off of that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yep. Let's go. Hey, bro. And I'm trying to... F- okay, the only other option for uh, setup for the term of setting up a joke is premise. So either one would work. Yeah. yeah. But I think I think you might be onto something with, with, uh, with setup. Yeah, no. It, it, I think it just works with, like, yep. the name punchline. Set up, punchline. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. I don't know. Phonetically, it works, but, like... It does, oh, and so, like, do you know so a, a callback because he's he's going back to Alexis's you know early years mm-hmm. explaining all of those. So callback would work too, yeah, and callback yeah. in stand up comedy is when you tell a joke and then you go on for. 
20 minutes and then you reference that joke you told 20 minutes ago and people laugh. Oh, yeah. No, so that, that might work, too. Yeah. Oh, it's so stupid. So people that do that, some of my favorite comedians. Oh, God. Yeah. No, please, please, please don't do that. Don't think for that <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I feel like we're going to be getting it soon. But anyway, let's it move on well next to uh, <laughs> Batman Urban Legends number three, uh, which is featuring four different stories. So we're going to break those each down for you. But starting us off, we're going to be looking at Red Hood, uh, which Rob will present to us now. All right. So this one comes from writer Chips Darsky with art by Eddie Barrows and Eber Freira and Jesus Marino. Flashback art by Marcus Toe. Colors from Adriano Lucas and letters by Becca Carey. So Jason and Batman sit down and talk for the first time in what could be ever. They agree Tyler needs to be safe and they bring him to Leslie Tompkins for a few days. Now working together on the Teardrops case, they scout information but Bruce is being too slow for Jason. So he heads off on his own, determined to deal with it that day. His own method of questioning leads him to an abandoned building that is heavily guarded on the inside. He sneaks in to find the dealer, but instead finds Mr. Freeze. I thought that was a bit of a twist, but I don't know how I feel about that twist. Mm. It seemed really out of left field. You have this whole idea of... You're setting up all these other characters that it could be... And they keep talking about Scarecrow and his backstory and have this whole portion of this person that created the fear toxin. And then now here's a completely different villain that they didn't allude to at all, has nothing to do with the story, and just in your face and deal with it. It could just be a patsy. It could just be part of another thing. Or maybe he's working with Scarecrow. But I kind of hope that they just follow the Scarecrow idea. I'm loving this story regardless for the Red Hood side Mm. of it. And the idea of the next evolution, the next step in his evolution as a character. And the character growth they're showing with him is fantastic. So the villain is kind of minor to me, but I just was kind of taken away out of left field when Mr. Free showed up. Yeah, it was a little odd. I, I think, for me at least, the standout moments of this issue were definitely the flashbacks. I don't know how you guys yeah. felt, but... Those no, the I, I was really, right there with you. It was yeah. th- they pulled on some heartstrings because I I love those and they've done a few of them now, mm. and every single time they've done it, even when I didn't enjoy the art, I enjoyed the story. Yeah, and I feel like we never yeah. get. I mean, we get it every now and then, but I feel like we never get enough stories of Jason's time as Robin. Like they'll do it here and there, and you might get a flashback or something, but. Usually when someone's reflecting on being Robin, it's like Nightwing or, you know, maybe Tim Drake every so often. We never, I feel like we never get the, the Jason stories just because his time was so short and he was kind of a bad Robin. And I think, honestly, I think that DC was just afraid of bringing him back on the table because a lot of people were still pissed when he showed up as Red Hood. Yeah, yeah. And his books don't sell all that good. <laughs> That's true. Mm-hmm. They're dicks, I'm, though. I'm, Every single person oh, out yeah. there that's a Batman fan that isn't r- buying a Red Hood, Oof. y'all are just dicks. Oh, we, we've, we, oh, yeah. we as a society, no voted to kill this guy. No we owe it to him to buy his comic oh, book. No exactly. <laughs> no. No, he, he's easily... Any book he's in is one of the best books in the Bat family. Yeah. Well, it's just, he, Absolutely. He's always, he's always, his perspective is always super interesting. And, and like I said, mm-hmm. um, I think 
I think using those flashbacks to kind of tug at your heartstrings, like you said, Josh, they really work. Um, and, mm-hmm. and like I said, I, I just I like seeing his time as Robin. Um, and I especially love how even Jim is like, ugh, like Bruce or not Bruce, but well, maybe he did know, but he's like Batman. I don't, you know, I don't know how to tell you this, but like your new Robin, he's a little, he's a little rough. He's he's not quite yeah. there. He's basically just saying like, you know, Batman, your your new Robin's like a little bit of a psychopath. Right, he's like, hey, dude, he he's not it. gonna kill anybody, right? Yeah. <laughs> I thought there was one hell of an interesting twist at the end. I wasn't expecting Mister Freeze to show up, but mm. these guys haven't really crossed paths before. And given that Mister Freeze is such a big Batman enemy, I thought that was kind of odd. So seeing him here was pretty cool. Uh, the way that I am feeling about this is beyond the fact that it's a really great story and that the art is done really well it is seriously entertaining if you are a red hood fan this is some of his best stuff in years if not ever excluding his return yeah it's been a hell of a fun ride some emotional times as well and uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt this gets at least an 8.5 out of me his i'm I'm going 8.5 right now Mm -hmm. yeah i also had to give it an 8.5 I really love the direction this is going, and I'm thinking that this whole story is going to be a redemption for when he gets his own book again. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and I if hope we so. do get another Red Hood book, it's Ooh, don't, going don't to be an entirely it. new Red Hood. Don't count on it. I hope so. Something that will yeah. definitely fill the gap in between now and future State Red Hood that'll get us to the point where he is so dedicated to the cause that he's willing to forsake everything. Mm-hmm. Which we'll, I guess we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I ended up giving this one an, an 8.25 out of 10 just because it, the art change, I think it was halfway through, was a little shaky. Um, not not the Marcus Toe stuff, but I, I think they brought in someone else. Um, Jesus Marino. To do yeah, I think so. To do the half of it, and it was a little... I don't know. It's a little sketchy for me. Like it just, it didn't, it didn't quite do it there, and it was, it was kind of jarring to go from like the really detailed artwork to, to that. But overall, it's just a really great story, and that I'm, I'm right there with you, Josh. If you're not buying a Red Hood book, like what's wrong with you? I'm not, I'm not gonna call them out on it, but um, <laughs> I, I agree, it should be there for sure. Mm-hmm. Next, we're going to be looking at uh, a Lady Shiva story, uh, which will be brought to us by Josh. Do you want to take it away? I do, and this one can be summed up pretty quickly. Mm. Uh, I don't know that it's all that necessary, but it was fun. Mm. It was written by Shay Grayson, with art by Alberto Jimenez Albuquerque and David Barron, with lettering from Tom Napolitano. And, like I said, it can be summed up pretty darn quickly. Shiva is still pissed that Cassandra chose Batman over her. And, I mean, after how long? Jesus. Talk about not letting things go. Isn't she supposed to be some kind of trained assassin ninja or something? I'm pretty sure that they teach against attachment in most of those schools of thought. (laughs) I I don't get it. She's holding on to a grudge for it. I mean, how long ago? It's been years, hasn't it? Yeah, no, it's, that I mean, like, at this point, she's be. been Batgirl, she's been orphaned, like, I don't know, I feel like you kind of need to get over it. Right, that's what I'm saying. 
Um, but in any case, uh, she attacks Batman for it. Batman nearly kills her and then saves her, as he is prone to do. And then he decides, you know what? I'm going to show you Cassandra golfing. Everything is done and happy there. It's a, it's a nice little touch to the Cassandra Lady Shiva story with some really nice, really interesting inks and watercolors used in this story. I, I really appreciated the art in here. Even though it's oh, yeah. it's not my typical favorite, it's done awesome. Yeah, I'm all not... in all, not necessary, but a pretty quick read yeah. and fun. No, I'm 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 not really sure how to feel about this story because like I enjoyed it. I'm not sure if I enjoyed it because I liked the story or because it was just kind of fun to see Lady Shiva do stuff. I I don't I don't I don't really know because like the most of it was just a fight between her and Batman. Um, and like, you know, clearly there's a, a story of her kind of feeling like she has nothing to live for, which I think is interesting, but maybe if they'd spent more time with that rather than her just kind of shouting at Batman about how he takes in orphans, like he's, you know, the beetle from Oliver Twist, but I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, it was... Like I said, it was, it was fun to see Lady Shiva, but I'm not sure if I loved the story or if I just liked it because Shiva was in it. Um, but I ended honestly, up giving, oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, Sorry. I ended up giving this one a, a seven out of ten. Uh, I I gave it a six point five, and I gave it a six point five not because there was anything to hate about it, but like I said, it was fun. Ultimately, completely unnecessary. So six point five out of ten, mm. just a comic book. Yeah, you know. Yeah. What did you think, Rob? I, I enjoyed it. It was a little sad if you look at it from just the motherly perspective, mm. but it, it was good. I rather enjoyed the story, and the art was nice. And It's one of those sides of Batman we don't often see. He's always just dark and brooding and straight to the point, but it, he's caring for an enemy here. Mm. Somebody that tried to kill him, and you could see a bit of camaraderie between two people. And just, it's like parents talking to other parents. It, it, it's, it, was, it was interesting. I, I, I liked it. I gave this an 8 out of 10. Yeah. Very cool. Next, we're going to be looking at The Outsiders. And Josh, can you summarize that one for us? Yeah, I think so anyway. And this is the finale of the arc. And that seems odd at first. Because of all that's happened in the previous issues, it doesn't feel like there's going to be enough time for closure and it tells you that this is the last of it at the very first page. So um, anyway, it's written by Brandon Thomas with art from Max Dunbar and Louis Guerrero with Steve Wands on lettering. And the story is just the wrap-up of everything that we've seen so far. A little backstory to show that there are feelings between Jefferson and Katana. Woohoo! <laughs> not romantic, apparently. Well, that's what they're saying. But uh, come on, uh, you saw know. the way those panels <laughs> were know. drawn. Horseshit. Like There's something there. Oh. It's happening. Oh, so body language is there, but the facial expressions, like, get the fuck yeah. off. <laughs> anyway, past that, they go to the the fight that had started at the end of the last issue. After Black Lightning and Metamorpho clobber the goons outside, they get to Katana just in time for her to be safe already. She made a deal to find and return her husband's soul within one year's time. At the end, we find out that this whole thing was really a spread-out setup issue for a series that seems to be coming out this fall. 
Jefferson is talking about a brand new direction for the Outsiders and that the members are himself, Metamorpho, Katana, Duke Thomas, The Signal, and a yet-to-be-announced fifth member that is, quote-unquote, gonna make it all work and is different. But uh, we'll have to wait until later this year to find out who that fifth member is. Yeah. I have been... Uh, yeah. I've enjoyed this whole... This whole quick series, man, and now that I can read the backups as pretty much like a single issue, knowing it's a setup issue, mm. I like it even more. Out, dude, Outsider gets an 8.5 out of 10 for me. And Dunbar and Louis Guerrero, man, made, they made this shit look gorgeous. Yeah, I think this was my favorite chapter, at least. Um, it, it was a little scattershot in the previous two um, in some places, but this one tied it up really nicely. and. Mm-hmm. Um, Hopefully provides a new and interesting direction for the outsiders, but I think I like as a whole story It's just a really fun outsiders story and that's always nice For sure now who do you guys think this supposed fifth member is gonna be I've seen theories that it's gonna be uh, Tim Fox the next Batman because in the digital first series Katana is acting as a mentor to Tim or has in some point in the past so people are thinking she's going to recruit him or she and Black Lightning are going to recruit him and they're going to be like an international outsiders team. That could be cool. Yeah. I I actually have no ideas of who it could be, but I I want it to be somebody that is like brand new to the team. So I I get Jace Fox is brand new to the team, but Batman certainly isn't in a way. I wouldn't mind something a little out of left field, something you wouldn't expect. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Not somebody zany, but somebody and, interesting. And in Future State, didn't we get flashbacks of Jace right before he came back and became Batman? Where he was at war? I think so, yeah. Maybe, yeah, something like that. So it's it's possible. I don't know. I still have, I, I still have one that I'd really like to see, but I know probably isn't going to happen. Well, okay, right before the Flashpoint, in Batman Incorporated, they had Tim Drake basically being um, assigned by Batman to lead an Outsiders team. So that was going to be Metamorpho, um, I think Looker, uh, Halo, and... Uh, it might have been someone else, but I don't remember. It might have been Katana or Black Lightning. But basically, Tim Drake was going to be the new leader of the Outsiders because he had kind of left the Teen Titans at that point and was looking for something to do. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I feel like they, I don't know what they're trying to do with Tim Drake at this point. But It would be kind of cool to see Tim Drake go into it as a non-control freak Batman part of the team. Yeah, and, and as someone yeah. who's already kind of acted as co-leader of the Gotham Knights, it would be a good way for him to use, and as, you know, leader of the Teen Titans, uh, a good way for him to show his leadership. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen. That's like that's like a, a, a fan casting in mind. That's a damn good fan mm-hmm. casting. I've got no clue who it could be, but yeah. I I like the idea of Tim Drake. That's cool. Uh, just as long as it's not Dead Man. <laughs> as long as it's, oh, come on. <laughs> One nah. of these days, Dead Man's gonna lead the Justice League Dark, and and you're gonna love it. 
I just he can show up in Justice League Dark any day of the week. Yeah. Hell, he can show up in Batman books. I'm cool with that. No Wonder but Woman that, though. No Wonder Woman. No Wonder he doesn't Woman. belong with Wonder Woman. He doesn't belong with Superman or the Flash, Green Lantern. I mean, he doesn't have a history with those guys. <laughs> Batman and and Justice League Dark though. Hell yeah. Well, maybe maybe that's maybe that was something they're trying to do. You know, make make a new relationship. So maybe he could have a, a new relationship with Superman or something. But anyway, uh, moving on to our final story, we'll be checking in on one of our favorite characters, Cole Cash, aka Grifter, in the third installment of the Long Con, which was brought to us by Matthew Rosenberg, with art by Ryan Benjamin, colors by Antonio Fabela, and letters by Saidia Timofonte. In the past, Cole Cash is shaking down some chumps for a man named Mr. White before he is offered a new position by some mysterious gentlemen to basically follow a man named Lucius Fox, for whom he doesn't really know uh, right now. In the present, however, he's having sex with the head of security, so things are looking up for our buddy Cole. Uh, but it's not all pleasure, as Cole needs to take care of some business with uh, the head of security's computer which he hands off to a stranger to scan. Now, when I saw who was grabbing the computer, I, I realized that our theories about who the mysterious person that Grifter has been talking to all this time might be wrong, and I think I know who it is now. But I wanted to, I wanted to ask if you guys had any guesses as to who it might be. No. What about you, Rob? No, I do not know enough about that side of dc's history to really take a good guess okay. well it's not really dc's history yeah, but yeah, wild yeah. oh yeah but uh but yeah so when grifter is handing off the computer to the the mysterious stranger mm -hmm. we see a robotic hand right but it's not like it looks to be like a robotic female hand and we know that the this you know the voice in cole's ear has been kind of a, a female voice um and so when I was just putting that together, I was like, okay, robot hand is a female. Who could that be? And then I realized it's an old, old member of the Wildcats. I think from around when Alan Moore or James Robinson was writing the book named Lady Tron. And she was in Grayson too. And I think, I, again, I can't confirm, but I think it might be Lady Tron. So it's not... It's wow, not, that yeah. would be... Uh, unfortunately, it's not... Um, God damn it, I'm blanking on her name right now. But the Dakota <laughs> Warrior crap. What was her name again? Does oh it... Jesus, it starts uh... with an S. I don't remember, but th that person damn it, I'm gonna remember as soon as we stop recording. But basically that that the person <laughs> that I thought it was in the previous episodes that you can find out if you listen to them, it's Probably not that person. I think it's Lady Tron from the Wildcats, which I think would make sense. But uh, I think the only reason that I didn't guess that is because I never really thought that Lady Tron and Grifter had like a close relationship or anything like that. But I, I could just be misremembering from that particular iteration of the Wildcats. I don't know if you guys thought anything different. No, but when you bring up Lady Tron, that would be pretty interesting to see what they do with her. Yeah. I'm trying to find the page right now because I did not notice that it was a robotic hand. Yeah, no, it's it's like you can only see it for a little bit, but it's because it's she's got a glove. But 
it shows you like her wrist and her wrist is metallic oh yeah so it is yeah it's almost completely robotic yeah so if i had to guess now i, I don't think it's it's the other person who i still can't savant remember. that's who you were thinking of no not savant it was it was savant's sister sister eve uh, I'm looking at the members of Wildcats right now on on Wikipedia, and that's like the only thing they have that start with us. Uh, no, no, Spartan? No, not Spartan. No. <laughs> um, uh, Zealot. That's it. Oh Zealot. My God. Zealot. Yeah. Okay. Whew. It's gonna bug me like all day, but yeah, no, it's 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 in all likelihood it doesn't seem like it's gonna be Zealot. If I had to guess, it's gonna be Ladytron. But anyway. Just wanted to just wanted to mention that, uh, but after briefly catching up with Lucius Fox and Bruce Wayne, Cole is sitting on a stakeout uh, before basically leaving his hideout spot and uh, is confronted by some villains who are basically attacking him for trying to take out a bunch of villains in Gotham uh, and you know trying to punish him for that, uh, but. Just before they get the upper hand on Cole, Batman shows up and they work alongside each other briefly, taking out the villains. And uh, that's when Batman attempts to confront Grifter about some of the missing villains and everything that has happened between Toy Man and Nora Freeze. But before he can get any answers, Grifter pulls a Batman on Batman and disappears before he can get in the final word. That's when Grifter shows up at Wayne Tech to basically enter some mysterious rooms on the second level where he wasn't able to get before and try to get access into the Wayne Tech computers using the information that he got from the uh, head of security's computer, uh, but is basically still not able to get enough clearance and uh, finds out that the only person that will able to, the only person that will be able to get clearance that high is uh, Lucius Fox, who uh, along with Bruce Wayne, is entering Wayne Tech Tower right now. So just as they arrive into the secret building, Cole is forced to make a quick exit, and uh, that's where our issue ends. Uh, so I'm still having a great time reading this book. Like I just I don't really have anything bad to say about it. It's just so much fun, and I don't know. Like yeah, I, I don't I, like I said I don't really have any anything more to say other than it's really cool to see Rosenberg's take on Grifter. I love this story of him basically kind of acting as a double agent. We never really know what his full motivations are, and we're still trying to find out. And, of course, seeing him play off of Batman is also super cool. So um, I, I just I loved it, and I had, an, had a really cool time. So I ended up giving it an 8.5. All right, so you said that you have nothing more to say about that. But why don't you go look at the image that I just posted in the chat Slack? Yeah, no, I, I saw the uh, the image of Ladytron. Yeah, look at that arm. Yeah, it looks. Yeah, I was seeing that on Google. That super, is super exactly yeah. her, man. So yep. you called it. That is one hundred percent Ladytron. Yeah. If not, that that would be messed up. <laughs> uh, yeah, unless it's yeah. someone else with that exact kind of robot arm. Well, uh, whoever the other voice is, whether Brandon is right or not, which I am now believing uh has made an off-panel physical appearance for what i i think that's the first time that they've actually appeared physically even though it's off-panel right mm -hmm. 
Yeah. All right. I, I love the art in this. The story is typical Grifter Mayhem with fun sprinkled all over like Frank's fucking red hot, man. It's it's an 8 out of 10. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, this is oh, ahead, yeah. so much fun. I, I'll admit, I was kind of confused. I, I didn't realize I was confused, but in that intro in the bathroom, I thought that actually was max cash i didn't realize they just had the name wrong so i I was thinking this whole issue i was thinking oh my god there's gonna be this big twist later on that his brother's alive and there's gonna be a big thing and okay that's not actually happening but it's still a fun story nonetheless i can't wait to see what happens and just the interactions with grifter and batman are fantastic i am curious what was bruce's angle at that dinner party when he was trying to recruit grifter grifter there He's, I figure he's doing a pretty good job as Batman already. And if he recruits him as Bruce Wayne, that's just inviting him in to figure out a secret identity. Yeah, no, I think he was trying to just, yeah, like keeping an eye on him, but also, you know, trying to psych him out a little bit because he he mentions John Lynch, who is uh, kind of like the, mm. the Nick Fury of the Wildstorm universe. Mm. Um, and obviously someone that Grifter knew very, very well. So... I, I think I think he's just trying to test the waters a little bit and say like how much how much can I really push this cold cash guy before he gives me something I can use against him. Well, that that being said, next issue you might get everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. I yeah I, I gave this a nine out of ten. I love this story. This is one of the strongest stories in this entire yeah, book. Yeah, no, I'm I'm loving this uh, this grifter story, which feels odd to say, but it's it's satisfying to have. Uh, <laughs> final sure. scores guys I gave this in total I'll say an 8.5 out of mm. 10 I gave it an 8 the whole book yeah yeah no this, this definitely was, worth an 8 yeah no this was this was my special number that I mentioned earlier so my average score was <laughs> actually 7.9375 but Oof. I'm gonna be nice and round it up to an 8 Oh, there you go. <laughs> I've got some funky math for you later, so. <laughs> All right, sit tight, everyone. We'll be back to cover the rest of the issues right after this commercial break. And we are back. Hope that wasn't too horrible. Thanks for sticking with Not a Robot. Next, we'll be taking a brief detour back into the world of the future state with a return to Gotham City in Future State Gotham number one. Uh, and that will be brought to us by Rob. Do you want to take it away? All right. Future State Gotham comes to us from writers Joshua Williamson and Dennis Culver with art by Giannis Milona Giannis and letters from ALW's Troy Pateri. So picking up where we left off, Jason is back with the magistrate as a mask hunter. After helping take down Scarface, Jason and Peacekeeper 03 get shaken by an explosion in Gotham that makes the ground start to fall away. Just barely escaping the damage, they get a drone view of the crater and find it is bat-shaped. Gaining more trust within the Magistrate, Jason is named an honorary peacekeeper to hunt down the new Batman, who is being blamed for the crater. Soon after, Jason goes to a rooftop that is being used as a safe meetup spot for the Bat family, but he is attacked instead by Nightwing for being a traitor. Dun dun dun! I wanted to go back and check this, but I didn't get a chance to. That explosion, that would be what happened at the end of 
um oh what was the bruce wayne future oh, right. state dark story detective. what was it dark, dark detective. detective that would be what happened at the end of that then wasn't yeah. that it very well okay. could have been yeah yeah so then there's Good that puzzle. at least we get a timeline connection yeah that would be interesting yeah i still have no clues as to who the hell jason's partner is mm-hmm. i was thinking it was barbara but barbara showing up at the end is kind of a I want to say a giveaway that is not, yeah. but they seem to be working. Whoever it is, nobody knows what's going on with Jason. So, Unless it's still knows. Ravager. Oh, it could be Ravager, yeah. yeah. That would be interesting. I I do wish this had color. I enjoyed the artwork for what it was, and I can kind of understand why they do it without color. But I think I would have enjoyed it more, because... The whole thing just felt like it was, it was just a rough sketch. I, I actually disagree, um, and I say that because and in my notes, I kind of only have like one sentence about this book, and it's, if you love manga, you're going to love this book, um, because it's very, well, very manga-inspired, and I think that's, I mean, I don't know. I, I the like, art is, yeah, not, I, the, like, yeah. not like the story direction. Well, well certain, certain aspects of the story definitely are, um, because... And actually, I wasn't, I wasn't going to mention this until we kind of briefly talked about the backup story, um, but I, I guess I can just go into it. But uh, this, this issue, Future State Gotham, reprints uh, a Batman story from Katsuhiro Otomo, which was in Batman Black and White back in the 90s. Um, uh-huh. And for people who don't know, Katsuhiro Otomo is a famous manga artist who did Akira, um, which is like one of the most famous you know, manga books of all time. And also, right. probably one of the most famous anime movies of all time. Um, but so it so it makes sense stylistically why you would have something like that with a book that obviously is very manga inspired, especially with like Jason's bike and his costume and them fighting the you know giant Scarface robot in the beginning, which which felt mm-hmm. like very shonen. Um, but I, I think for that yeah, reason, yeah. it definitely worked better as a book in black and white because I just. I, I feel like if you're going to try and do a manga-inspired book, you probably don't want to have too much color in it. Um, and I think no. it kind of worked in some places, and then in others it was a little a little weak. But overall, I, I don't know. I kind of I dug the artwork in the black and white style. I'm kind of a sucker for I, black and white stories. I mean, the the backup issue is a reprint. I mean, yes. it's old. We you know Everybody knows that story, or more than likely does. I can't think of very many comic fans that haven't read Batman Black and White. Mm-hmm. But in any case, as far as the, the real meat of this book goes, um, the the black and white style of the comic, it does fit a Red Hood story. And I'm not opposed to black and white style. Because let me tell you something. The only Ninja Turtle comic book worth reading does not have color in it. <laughs> Guaranteed. Hands down. I promise I you. Um now, the only issue that I really have with it is that the black and white stuff is getting so overdone right now with both DC and Marvel taking advantage of what used to signify an indie creator bringing a a, a passion project to a publisher. You know, they, they couldn't afford colors. That's, that's where the damn Ninja Turtles and other projects like that, they started out like that. And then, yes, exactly. And, you know, some of them are artistic choices, but the they've turned it into a goddamn gimmick. And uh, there's Harley Quinn, Black, White, and Red, 
Logan, Black, White, and Red. And I mean, there, there's, if I'm not mistaken, there's a few other ones too. And it's just, all it is is, is a holographic cover, man. And it's, it's, it kind of bumps me out about it. But past that part of it, I really do like the art. It is good. I'm glad that Red Hood is still a good guy, even if it means that nobody knows except whoever that damn mystery person is. Um, overplayed or not, the art is good, and the story definitely has me intrigued. So let's give this whole book an 8 out of 10. Yeah, I, I definitely see what you're getting at with the manga inspiration, and I wish I caught that to begin with. Of sharp thin lines, yeah. Oh yeah, no, yeah. it's just it was and the, even the, the way the story was structured. The, yeah, the the um, yeah. onomatopoeia, but like it's drawn into the scenes, and like mm-hmm. especially every time Jason is in an alley or on that bike, it's like it's like reading Akira. Mm-hmm. I I really wish I'd caught that, but I I do kind of still have an issue with it, just based on the fact that it's it's a future state book, and we had that two months of all this future state. And this is going to be the, not exactly the closing chapter of Future State, but a bonus chapter of Future State. Mm. And it's just a completely different style from what we've already gotten. And I'm all for the manga inspiration and the manga style, especially with the Bat books. I have a Justice League manga in my bedroom right now, and it's fucking awesome. But if you take this and put it on a different story for a little bit, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more. Because if I'm going into future state, I'm expecting the stuff I've already gotten. Yeah, no, it's it's weird because I I feel like if I had done this with another story like a Superman book or Wonder Woman, it, it would not have worked. I feel like black and white is almost best when it is Gotham because it just has that yeah. great you know noir setting. Um, but if you were to try and do like you know this kind of style with Dead Man, it just it wouldn't work. <laughs> And even even on top of that, one of my favorite things about Future State, especially the Gotham side of it, was the colors. Mm. It was very neon and very futuristic, and I'm just yeah. missing out on all of that. All in all, though, I gave this a 7.5 out of 10. It was still a really good story, and I can't wait to see where this one goes. Yeah, no, I also gave this one a, a 7.5 out of 10, just because even though I love the idea of having a of manga-inspired books set in Gotham City. It's the perfect place for it, especially with the character's futuristic setting. Uh, you know, it's just kind of a standard story, like nothing really, nothing particularly stand out. It's just kind of continuing the, you know, tale of Jason Todd as a, as a mask hunter. And, um, it's it's interesting, but it didn't really blow me away. Um, just, I think I was more Boy, you better go away. the aesthetic of a black and white book than some aspects of the story itself but it still kind of works so like i said i end up giving it a, a 7.5 um, but next we'll be moving on to another alternate future this time brought to us by the incredible creative team of tom taylor and andy kubert and batman the detective number two uh so without any further ado josh do you want to take that one away i know i kind of already Stated some oh, of the creative themes. You're, yeah, you're good. Yeah. You're good. There's a couple others to throw in there. Uh, but yeah, can I just say, not that I'm not enjoying all of the stories that are going on out there right now in and around Gotham City, but holy fuck, am I. Uh, I'm, if I have to, if I hear the magistrate outside of comic books, I'm probably going to punch somebody. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, anyway, in a universe where that's not a problem, uh, written by Tom Taylor of pretty much everything fame by now, and an art team made up of the legendary Andy Kubert with Sandra Hope and Brad Anderson both inside and out, and the lettering came from Clen Robbins. Um, so, hey, real quick, guys, how many people working for DC have Batman-related last names? I mean, Robbins, he, he even has just one beat. And oh, you got Clayton Cowles. I mean, are there more? Is there any more that I'm missing? Maybe. I feel like there should be more. Maybe. At least six or seven of them. There should be one for every member of the Bat family, right. active or not. Well, hey, at least, <laughs> at least he's working. Clem Robbins, because I mentioned earlier how much I love the 100 Bullets, and I know he did most, if not all, the lettering for that book. He actually usually only does books with Brian Azzarello, so... It's oh. it's, it's kind of cool to see him here. I don't. I just know branching out a, a bit. Little nerd about the creative team. Well, that's good. We need those. <laughs> Without those people, we're all screwed. Um, <laughs> anyway, Batman the Detective continues the story arc of the White Knights fighting against him and picking out people that Batman has saved so that they can kill them. Batman is in Europe, if you remember from last issue, and he's working with Squire, a little tracking these people down. Henri Ducard makes an issue-long appearance trying to offer help to Batman while he can. I thought that was kind of unusual. Mm -hmm. Ducard is one of the people that trained Bruce Wayne, and he's a killer, so him and Bruce aren't exactly on the same wavelength, and he's always reminding Bruce that Bruce is the second best student that he's ever had. The White Knights score a bit of a win over Batman in this issue, but honestly, guys, I'm not going to ruin it. You're going to have to read it to find out what I'm talking about, because it is good. The art team can keep this up, and any book and Taylor writing, of course, is just giving us a really cool story. I liked it, like, hands down, 8.5 out of 10 for me. Yeah, th this was a fun one. I rather enjoy this and i i'm excited to see what country he goes to next if if he's doing a whole euro trip i love that movie but <laughs> yeah like, like i i loved batman incorporated and i would love to see something like that kind of pop up out of this if that were to ever happen or at least see we we saw knight and squire Every country he goes we, to, you know what? See like a, a Batman esque superhero, some maybe he didn't even realize before, and it doesn't necessarily have to go that way. But I just think it'd be cool. Mm. We have seen little glimpses of uh, of Batmaning. We've got Luke Fox coming back. You know, I mean, he was Batwing. Now we've got Night and Squire. So I, I'm hoping that we get to see more of those because. I mean, I guess everybody wasn't a huge fan of that, but I was a diehard Batman Inc. fan. I loved that yeah, shit I loved so that much. That was a fantastic idea. Yeah, so uh, all in all, I gave this an 8 out of 10. Keep up the work, Taylor. It's good stuff. I know. I'm loving this take on Batman. But uh, next we'll be moving on to another corner of the DC Universe, a bit disconnected from... Uh, our other superheroes in Rorschach number eight. So, uh, Rob, you want to take at one? Will do. So we got writer Tom King, art from Jorge Fornes, color from Dave Stewart, and letters by Clayton Cowles. So our detective is interrogating three men, a lawyer, a psychiatrist, and a handyman who all have connections to Will Meyerson. 
Throughout the questions, they all tell a similar story of a visit to a farm that Meyerson and the kid lived at for a while. Finally getting to the end, we find out Frank Miller, after being arrested as an accomplice, named these men specifically as people that were paid by Meyerson. Being frustrated with the lack of valuable information in their stories, the detective proceeds to punch them over and over, screaming questions until the three men stop, silently smile, and say, Oh, it is you. I've been waiting for you. Each man has a message. Mind, mind you asking the same questions over and over to each different person, yeah. punching them all at the same time. I thought that was a bit dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, each man has a message, the same message. The squids are here. I I I want to say I have a lot to say about this issue, but I also don't have a lot to say about this issue. I can yeah. sum it up very easily. I go to comics because not only do I love them, but I have a hard time concentrating on novels. I, I used to love reading, reading as a kid, but over the years, I just like my mind keeps wandering. I'll get halfway through a book right. and then I just forget about it, or I'll move on to the next thing. I mean, even the same way with video games. The amount of games I've half-finished are infinite. I feel you, dude. (laughs) And this one was very wordy, and I had to try each page, like, multiple times to get through it. And at the end, I I just ended up skimming through the dialogue and just taking the information that I needed to take. And by the end, I realized a lot of this was just, like, dialogue. There wasn't a lot of point to the story, at least from what we can tell so far. And it's just painting a picture about this time they spent at the cabin. Now, like I said, I skimmed it, so I might be misinterpreting the entire thing, but it was just so wordy, and that's one of the many reasons I dislike Bendis' writing. I've enjoyed Tom King's writing in most cases, so I don't like seeing this, but that also being said, Tom King really is the king with the mental stuff, so I completely understand why he would go in that direction. I just wish he wouldn't sometimes. Okay. Yeah, I heard that, dude. Yeah. Dude, there, there's four more issues of this. I'm eight issues in, and I am still clueless as to how this is going to wrap up. Yeah. And the thing, this thing was so word-heavy. It, it really was a chore to get through. I'm honestly I'm wondering why this isn't a novel. It's a it's a good story, mm-hmm. but there's so much and it could be expanded upon and built into its own universe, honestly. I really feel that. But I think it's too much to cram into a comic mm-hmm. book. And um the unusual panel structure was a little different to see. A little odd because it just intersects the different scenes. It doesn't structure anything. Yeah. Other other than at times it's used to direct the narration boxes so that you know which one to read next because there's fucking 35 of them on the page. Yeah. Um, there, there's so much there. The art is great as always and the story is still very interesting but it's just so fucking dense, man. Even for Rorschach and Tom King. 7 out of 10. Yeah, I also gave this a 7 out of 10. All right. And our final book for this week, we're going to be looking at Justice League's Last Ride. This book was brought to us by Chip Zdarsky, Miguel Mendoza, Enrica Angiolini, and And World Design doing the letters. Superman is struggling with the weight of trying to save everyone. Despite trying to hide his pain from Lois, it's clear that Clark is still struggling with this idea. Despite this, he receives an urgent message from his jail communicator telling him that he has to report to the Watchtower. 
After showing up and catching up with some of the other members of the Justice League, like Flash and Wonder Woman, Batman shows up, causing some tension and friction between the League because of some past unknown events. But they're still not sure why they're actually here. That's when we get a message from Jon Stewart, who informs them that they have captured Lobo, the man who killed the new gods, and they need to keep him alive before he can stand trial at the United Planets. Uh, Hal Jordan then briefly shows up and catches up with the League, informing them that he is in the process of rebuilding the core and wants to make the moon the new Oa. He believes that this will be successful given that Earth has so many enhanced superhuman beings and will show them that the Corps is doing a good job, but that he also needs the Justice League to, in particular to help them guard Lobo. Batman is yeah, they, he, wants to, he wants to disband the Justice League and just yeah. have all of the superheroes join the Green Lantern Corps, right? Yeah. That seems ambitious. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange <laughs> idea, but Batman isn't too happy with this idea and basically blows the whole thing off as cosmic politics and returns to Gotham City where he cleans up some mess with Mr. Freeze, who unfortunately gets the upper hand on Batman just briefly before Superman shows up to help Bruce save the day. Later in the Batcave, as Bruce and Clark catch up, they trade blows with each other, or at least verbal blows, over something that happened with John that led to his death, some unknown crisis that we're not really sure about. Yeah, now I've got the feeling that Batman may have willingly knowingly sent john on a mission that he knew john was gonna die on yeah no we're not we're not really sure and it feels like bruce is blaming clark and clark is blaming bruce and neither yep. one of them are, are mature enough to really own up to it but that's when well, somebody go him. ask wonder woman isn't that how we usually deal with these things i know <laughs> and she's the one who's kind of saying like oh knock it off you two like this is ridiculous but clark basically you know owns up to Bruce and says, hey, I'm tired. I, I can't keep doing this forever, and we need to just accept it and move forward so we can have one final final team up for the Justice League just to accomplish this goal of keeping Lobo safe. And that's when Batman says, basically, that he'll help them and keep Lobo safe on the one place that they probably wouldn't expect, and that's to go back to Apocalypse. Um, so I, I'm still kind of unsure how to He's feel about this key. issue yeah like i i really loved the artwork by miguel mendoza it was just absolutely gorgeous and there are so many great panels here in particular front, one with the, front to back is gorgeous yeah with the you know uh green lanterns keeping lobo in like this box construct and it, it's just really well illustrated but um some of the melodrama i felt like we'd seen before it's it's well written with some good dialogue from zadarsky but in terms of that, I'm, I'm not really sure where I stand yet, so I ended up giving this issue a 7.5, but like with a question mark, because I'm not really sure like how I feel about it yet. I just I got to let it sit a little more, but what did you guys think? Uh, I thought it was awesome. <laughs> mm -hmm. Two questions. What in the hell is going on in this story, and why is this issue not bigger so I can read more of it? <laughs> it I, I, I'm fully fully into this i usually love zadarsky's writing anyway so uh you know with very few exceptions i like this guy's a whole lot it's getting an 8.5 for me yeah that interior art is fantastic and you mentioned 
the green lanterns made me look at some of the lighting and that lighting coming off of the bat computer is mm-hmm. amazing with the shading just bouncing off the penny is fantastic i need to look at this book again and just enjoy the art the whole book the whole book the whole book is gorgeous oh, yeah. all the lighting all the everything shadows you name it fucking pretty yeah, just absolutely. pretty including the cover by Derek Robertson. I loved everything he did in The Boys, and I love this cover too. Oh, yeah. And I would love to see him do at least a full DC book, if not even a Justice League book, and see his take on all those characters. And to see the artists of The Boys take on like the these great heroes <laughs> and, yeah. and not right. have them like bloodying everybody up would be amazing. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, hooked. I uh, this story I thought was great. I can't wait to see where this goes. Going into the, the title, I thought this was going to be a lot like the Marvel's The End imprint. And it would be like Justice League The End, but maybe a little... Maybe not. Maybe it's a little mm-hmm. different. But we'll see. Hey, this It's a fantastic read. 8.5 for me. Awesome, awesome. Alright, now that that's done, let's break down our top three books for this week and a standout moment if you have one. So, Rob, you want to get us started? Okay, so my top three, starting at number three, I had Last Ride. Like I just said, it's such a fun read. I can't wait mm. for issue two. This was a digital first, right? It was yeah, originally. To be, yeah, it was supposed to be, but I guess they canceled it. But you can definitely tell it was supposed to be a digital first right. just by the layouts. Because mm-hmm. there's there's no, like, double-page spreads in this. They they usually don't do those in... in uh, in digital first series and like it's it's like a very simple like it's beautiful artwork don't get me wrong but it's it's like pretty straightforward layouts like it's clear it was meant to be pretty pretty standard yeah. yeah yeah i think i'm kind of happy in a way it's not digital first because it's not going to provoke me to just go read all of it online right now <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh so number two i had urban legends i just enjoyed the hell out of that book i, I enjoyed all the stories this month like some were better than others, but it's still, yeah. <laughs> it's still a great read. Especially that Red Hood and Grifter story. Oh, I can't oh, wait yeah. for more of that. And number one, if it wasn't obvious from my glowing review of it, the Joker. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else I can say. Is oh my, oh my god, this this is so much better than Three Jokers. Oh my god, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have so hey, much hey, don't shit on Three Jokers. I was a fan of Three Jokers. Oh, I loved I it, all the, it all the way up until the end. Yeah, the ending pissed me off. Three Jokers was like like a radioactive element, like, and I say that because it literally had a half life that was basically like, oh, it was a really good start. Uh, it was an okay second issue, and the third issue just sucked. Like. All the good, all the good, the good of Three Jokers had a half life of, I guess, three months because by the end I was just like, this, dude, whatever. Well, then it, yeah, it more than overstayed because it took three years to get here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I was like waiting for it for three years. So imagine how disappointed we all felt. What was your favorite moment of the week? Right, favorite moments. I I was originally gonna say the Valkyrie Fortress at the end of Wonder Woman. I thought that it mm-hmm. was just a nice. So a spread page and the, the colors are interesting but going through last ride again uh, just everything no. in that oh. book is just so much better than anything else we've read this week but if i had to pick one it's superman punching the penny and just watching it ricochet off the wall 
you yeah. get really absorbed <laughs> into that moment and i'm just you do like i've been like playing a lot of vr so i don't know if i'm just like actually seeing that penny move <laughs> as i'm reading yeah. it <laughs> but you but, can, yeah. it almost feels like you can see it shake you know what i mean exactly like, it feels that like is, you're oh, there that's fantastic that that's yeah. my standout moment and just the yeah. anger out of that yeah oh my god it was great that was me <laughs> All right, my top three are going to be pretty much all Batman-centric. Uh, mm-hmm. Number three is Batman Urban Legends for, well, I mean, just read it. Number two, Batman Detective. I am urging you to go and read that because it is amazing. But <laughs> Last Ride took it for me, man. It was so wow. fun. And I know I wasn't expecting that either. But it was so fun. And for me, the story, while, while we've definitely seen the justice league have their tiffs before this feels a little different the way that it's written the words that are used i feel like it's being presented in a different way and i really want to see how this plays out man that is my number one for sure my favorite moment though doesn't come from any of those it has got to be that last page of the joker story Joker's got a gun in each hand and he's ready to fucking go out in a blaze of glory in a gunfight and Gordon just looks behind, right behind Joker. You can see Gordon and he just looks like, ah, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, it's not the most spectacular piece of art. It is by far not the worst. It's, it's good stuff, but that's not what sold me. It was the feeling and the laugh that I got out of the page, man. So that's my favorite moment. Awesome. Yeah, no, my top three are, are kind of similar to you guys's, but a little different. In number three, I also had Justice League Last Ride. Like I said, I, I still got to think about it a little more, but I, I think for the most part, I enjoyed a lot of the aspects about it. And then the art was just really great. And number two, I had Batman Urban Legends. Number three, uh, like Rob said, the Grifter and Red Hood stories are, are really stand out. And even some of the, the smaller stories with the Outsiders and Lady Shiva was still pretty fun too, and then at number one I actually had Batman the Detective number two. That was the the one I found myself enjoying. I think the most um, outside of the the other stories in Batman Urban Legends, but uh, yeah, I definitely encourage people to pick that one up. It's it's really great. But my standout moment of the week actually comes from none of those. It comes from Future State Gotham number one, uh, specifically the double page spread of just the bat logo scorched into the Gotham city. Like that was just such a cool that was pretty cool design. Man. And was. like, I, I don't even know how long it would have taken someone to etch that out, but it was just, it was really impressive. Hell yeah, it was. Yeah. But anyway, that was fun, but I can tell you something that's even more fun. It's time for the biggest thinker. Oh, that's nasty. <laughs> Which title made your stink list today, guys? Alright, man, I know that I gave Wonder Woman the lowest score this week, but that was largely because of the backstory and my disagreement of how much those two stories should not be put together in the same book. Mm. Honestly, the front to back, the book that I enjoyed the least this week was Rorschach, so Tom King is officially back on Uh-oh. my stink list. Uh-oh. Oh, no. <laughs> About damn time. <laughs> Yeah, I went into this week going through my my first few books fully expected not from it being bad, but for Superman to be on my stink list this week because I thought this week is just going to be awesome. But mm-hmm. then I read Rorschach 
and I had to <laughs> slog through it. And <laughs> Superman was a bit more fun, and Rorschach was just a novel. It it was hard to go through. I'm still interested in the story, but in in a sea of awesome, somebody has to be the shrimp. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. You know, for this week, Superman actually made my stink list. It it just beat out Rorschach. Um, again, not a terrible story by any means, but I think I was just a little bored with some of the more expository scenes. And even though I like the backup, I I just I like that one more than the main story, and almost wish that that had just been the focus, but. You know, I find that, is, that we say that a lot about the backstories, right? Yeah, anyway. yeah. Like <laughs> and is, I do get what you're saying about the exposition. It's a, it's a little off. It was, it was just him, like John and and that guy, and they're in the lab and they're just talking a lot. It's like, ugh, just pick up the pace. But yeah. anyway, that's the show. We hope you had fun. We definitely did. Come back next week for more DC Comics talk when we'll be reviewing Flash Seven Seventy. Nightwing number 80, Justice League 61, Catwoman number 31, Wonder Girl number 1, and Legend yes. of the Dark Knight number 1. We'll be here talking comics, and we hope you'll stop by. Remember to go to Not A Robot Podcast for all of our episodes and other, other shows with all sorts of people. With that, there's only one way that we say goodbye around here. Until next time. Be good to each other. And don't be a robot. Just like the